Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for an absolutely epic chat that I know you are going to love. We are speaking to our very first ever triathlete on the show, Jazz Hedgeland from Australia, Tokyo Olympian. And as I say in the introduction, you're about to hear how on earth we have gone this long without ever having somebody from triathlon is absolutely beyond me, but it is definitely worth the wait. This is our longest ever interview. I'm sure by downloading this, you've seen the time of this interview and that is no mistake. This is by far our longest ever interview we've ever had on Off the Podium and it is worth every single second of a jazz. So open and honest and raw about everything to do with her incredible career, particularly around pretty serious injury that she had in the mid-2010s, around 2015 period, in the lead-up to the Rio Olympics and what it took to overcome not just the physical side of that but the mental side of things, and then her extraordinary story around the Tokyo Olympics when on the cusp of her dream of making the Olympics, everything seemed to go the complete opposite direction to really hamper her performance at those Olympics and really put a whole bunch of other challenges along the way throughout her journey there in Tokyo. It is really one of the most emotional, honest and open conversations I think we've ever had on this show and it is definitely one that you are going to love every single second of it. Here is our chat with Australian Olympic triathlete Jazz Hedgeland. Just over 300 episodes here on Off the Podium. For some reason, we have never, ever spoken to an athlete from the sport of triathlon. But that is being broken today because I am so pumped and excited that we can finally speak to someone from the great sport of triathlon. She is an Olympic athlete from Tokyo where she competed, funnily enough, in the sport of triathlon and has had an esteemed career throughout the sport. And we are so excited to be able to welcome off the podium today the one, the only, Jazz Hedlund. Jazz, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Ben. It's it's always exciting to tick off a sport off the list, and I, I just am baffled why it's taken us so long to get to triathlon, because Australia is a country of many triathletes. It's not like, uh, you know, we, we struggle to put them out there, so uh, apologies on behalf of uh, Off the Podium to the triathletes out there, but I, I want to say, you're actually speaking to me right now in Andorra. Now, we were talking a little mm-hmm. bit about this off air, and I think you might be the very first person I've ever spoken to who is residing in the country right now of Andorra, a, a, a beautiful country yeah. in Europe. How, how are you finding your Andorran experience right now? Uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, I feel honoured to be the first triathlete and the first person <laughs> residing in Andorra <laughs> to feature. Um, but, yeah, no, I've been here for nearly a week and the country is just beautiful. Um, the city's kind of in the middle of mountains either side um and you sort of head up towards france going one way along the main road 
and down towards Spain on the other. And yeah, I'm loving it so far. Highly recommend. <laughs> I, I just love that image of, yeah, I'll just go up that way to France and I'll just go down that way to Spain. Like uh, Australian yeah. issues, obviously, it's, you know, we can't, can barely go to another state, let alone another country. So uh, just to, what do you do on a Saturday? Yeah. Like, ah, oh, France today, Spain tomorrow. Yeah. Like, is that just kind of how you do it? Yeah, kind of, to be honest. I mean, after the last couple of years with the pandemic have been very locked down. Um, so this year, definitely trying to make the most of it. Um, and I've actually had some racing the last couple of weekends. So I was training in Spain for the week and then I'd head to France for the weekend and do that a couple of times. Um, so yeah, no, it kind of sounds, when I say it out loud, um, I definitely realize how lucky I am right now. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love your story of how you got into triathlon because obviously you're on an Olympics podcast jazz so uh, we're very much big fans of the Olympics but I believe you watching the Olympics was kind of what gave you that spark to get into triathlon so tell us the story about watching triathlon at the Olympics and how that set the path that you went on. Yeah so as kids um, my younger sister and I were very sporty we loved it Um, I think mum and dad kind of pushed us into sports early on because I knew it it would take up a lot of our energy. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, we we absolutely loved it. Um, We played hockey. We did cross-country running. um, We tried quite a few sports, um, dancing, gymnastics. And then I think I was about nine years old um, when the 2004 Olympic Games were on TV. And, yeah, we just had it on. We were watching different events and different races and competitions And for some reason, I watched the triathlon and I was like, you know what? I want to try that. Um, So told mum and dad, we're like, this is another sport we want to have a go at. They were like, (laughs) sure. Um, Found a local club. Started when I was nine. So I did my younger sister when she was seven. 17 years later, I'm still doing the sport. Incredible. Which, I mean, I guess it works out well that if you're trying your hand at so many different sports that you chose a sport that has three different sports basically in one sport, right? (laughs) Exactly. Poor mum and dad were driving us around to all these different training and competitions after school. And then it got to the point they were like, all right, guys, you're going to have to choose one. Like, we can't fit this all in. And me and Kira were like, if we choose triathlon, technically, we're still doing three sports. So we've got them. (laughs) We've got them here. You got it. Surprise! Surprise! You never went, say, modern pentathlon or like you know heptathlon, where then you know you may be combining even even more sports than just the three. I think three is hard enough as it is. So hats off to those people, those athletes. I could not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a massive fan of any sport that just combines all the different elements of, of multiple sports. I mean, yeah. I'm a massive modern pentathlon fan. I like to say I'm Australia's biggest modern pentathlon fan just uh, to own that crown. I am literally wearing a modern pentathlon yes. T-shirt. But <laughs> I, I am. Like I had to get that one for, for the games. Wow. But even winter, you know, Nordic combined, these sports that obviously combine different sports, which triathlon is, is really the most well-known of all of them. And I think the thing about triathlon I find is that this probably sounds dumb what I'm about to say, Jazz, but I often forget that it is three different sports because it's just it's it's such a a, a sport in itself that you yes. understand that you got to do these three legs. Whereas yeah. modern pentathlon, it is kind of unique that you're riding a horse, you're, you're running, you're shooting, you're doing all different things. Whereas, I mean, yeah. does that make sense? Or am I just sounding really stupid that you kind of forget that it's three yeah. elements into one? No, for sure. I think um, 
they're all sort of endurance activities. Um, you can go for a ride, you can go for a run, you can go for a swim. Um, and then I also think like when it comes to the events, like, I mean, I don't look at it really as we're swimming and then we're biking and then we're running because they're all so related. Where you come out in the swim affects the bike, even your transition, how fast that is affects sort of the next leg. So, and I definitely think um, the sport has really developed um, and a lot more people know about it uh, over the last few years. So it's definitely turning into its own little thing, which I love. I it's fascinating to hear your story about watching the Olympics in 2004 because my first real taste of triathlon was Sydney. I, the very first medal event yeah. I remember of Sydney, you know, I remember Michaela Jones, you know, narrowly missing out on that gold yeah. medal as a 13-year-old loving it and kind of always been one of these yeah. Olympic sports I always look forward to. So had you, outside of the triathlon love, had you just loved the Olympics? Was this something that every four years you, you sat down with the family to, to watch, yeah. being so sporty, you and your sister yeah. and, your, and your family? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely have the Olympics on um, every time it's on. Um, I think, I guess like doing sport as a kid, um, you kind of experience that feeling of like winning a race or as a team doing really well. Um, and it's such a, such a special thing and, and such a high to feel. So I think when I was watching the Olympics and when I was watching the triathlon and, and wanted to do it, like I saw that feeling they had when, when they crossed the line and they'd won a gold medal, it was just this indescribable feeling. And I was kind of like, oh, I kind of want to feel that. Um, so, yeah, I think watching the Olympics definitely inspired me to start triathlon. But I think it was also that feeling like as a nine-year-old, I was like, oh, if I walk, work hard, can I feel this one day type of thing? So um, inspiring for sure. Yeah. Which that – on that path of going towards the sport, changing into the sport, mm -hmm. do you set the ultimate dream of the Olympics or is that something that as you progress, you all of a sudden think to yourself, okay, well, this might be a really sick possibility if I keep going the way I'm going. Yeah. yeah um, it's funny. I look back at, or I come across sort of things I've written down from when I was a kid and one of them was go to the Olympics. Um, and I don't think as a nine, 10, 12 year old, you can fully process that. Um, but I think sort of as I've gone on and I've ended up staying in the sport um, and sort of progressing, it came a point where I was like, no, hang on, maybe I can actually do this. So I think it, it started maybe even subconsciously, not like fully aware of it, uh, but it's definitely sort of been there for a long time as something I've wanted to aim for and, and achieve in the future, yeah. Well, when you're nine years old, and you join a triathlon club, what's the yeah. first thing they teach you? Is it like, can you ride? Can you swim? Can you run? Cool, go and try it. Or is there <laughs> an element that they get you to focus on first before you combine all yeah. three of them? Yeah, well, I think definitely as a as a nine-year-old, um, there's kind of the program which is called TriStars, which is for seven to 16-year-olds, and it's sort of broken up into sort of two-year age groups for each one. And I honestly, like the first thing I can remember is just how fun it was. The community, the group, all of it, it was just so much fun. Um, so I think we, we definitely did a bit of each thing. Um, it was kind of like doing two, two little swim sessions a week, going for a ride together, a run or something like that. So it was definitely doing the three sports um, at a young age. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely the community um, and all that sort of 
fun energy we had um, as kids that I think made me really love the sport and, and why I'm here today. I love that explanation when you said it's kind of like all three of them are similar on that endurance level and you can kind of combine them. Is there when it comes yeah. to training, and I don't know if this has changed from when you were younger to today, that you just literally have to focus on all three of them at the same time or do you get to a point where you're like, okay, this season my running's on point, my swimming's on point, but my cycling needs work or, you know, vice versa. Like how does that generally work yeah. in a general season training for triathlon? Yeah, so there are a lot of athletes which have come from other sports. Um, so we've had swimmers that have joined triathlon or runners that have joined triathlon. So for those athletes who are so developed in one sport, I think they do tend to focus maybe more heavily in the off season on the other two. Um, but for me, because I started so young in the sport, I've been doing all three for so long. And I think um, whilst they are different sports, there's definitely a crossover. Like your fitness in swimming helps you with cycling and running. And right now in the sport of triathlon, especially like with the women's racing, you have to be good at all three. Otherwise you're not there. Like earlier on, there was sort of the Gwen Jorgensen era where she was extremely good at triathlon, but like running was her strength and she'd be able to catch people in the run sort of from minutes down. Um, but for me, I just, I want to be good at all three. I don't want to, don't want to have a weakness. So um, I definitely like to get yeah, all year round focus on all three um i'm hoping in the long run it pays off <laughs> <laughs> well, i was gonna say you you i guess you wouldn't know any different considering you started so young and that's all three so yeah i guess the yeah. question of is it difficult for somebody to come from one sport and transition you personally wouldn't know but through yeah. what you've seen who you've discussed with do do you think that it is yeah. something that if you're a swimmer and go cool i'm going to add two extra elements to what i do that that is more trickier from someone like yourself who grows up doing all three yeah, I think um, <clears throat> with triathlon, obviously, it's a lot of training. So if you've got a swimmer who comes to the sport, they're also used to a lot of training. Um, so I definitely think it's possible. Um, it's definitely happened recently um, with a lot of athletes. Um, Beth Potter, for example, um, she has come from a track running background and she's performing extremely well in triathlon. Um, and the same thing has happened with swimmers. So 100% possible. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just if you're used to, to putting in the work, um, all the hours, um, transitions have been shown to, to happen really well into triathlon. Because the thing that fascinates me about triathlon is you go to an Olympics and you hear about you know, the marathon, that's the the big endurance one, you know, 40-odd kilometres. We've spoken to race walkers, you know, the men's obviously got the 50-kilometre race walk, you know, that's a bit further. But yeah. the triathlon, is it 51.5 kilometres in total? So is that technically, is that the longest, I think, then sport <laughs> in terms of outside of, say, a cycling road race, I yeah. guess, but like, I mean, in terms of that yeah. level. So why why don't we talk yeah. as much about that length that we do in the marathon or the race walks? That really never gets mentioned, I feel. Yeah, no, that's um a very good point. Um, yeah, it's a one point five kilometer swim, forty kilometer bike, and ten kilometer run. Um, so with the women, it sort of takes us just under two hours, and the men a little bit quicker. Uh, but also, we have had the introduction of the relay format, uh, mixed team relay, which is two men, two females, 
and they each do a short triathlon um, and then once they finish tag the next person um, which is a really really exciting race to watch because things can change so quickly Um, but yeah I think that is what I love about triathlon is we can have a two-hour race um, which is very hard but then also a 20-minute race that we're doing Um, so yeah I think um, both races are really exciting to watch I mean so is the marathon um, and these other events, like every sport, just the the hard work and how good they are when you're sitting there watching it. Like for us watching the pace that the marathon runners are doing, we're like, oh my God, that's so fast. Like I can't even do that for 10Ks. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just, I think all sports are amazing. <laughs> Which is it a similar thing to say, you know, marathon runner will only do a certain amount of marathons a year to obviously keep themselves in a certain mm-hmm. shape. It seems like triathletes yeah. do a lot more in a year than a marathon runner would. Is that is that the case? And like, or yeah. are you sort of tuning your body to peak at certain parts of the year to compete in those yeah. events? Yeah, definitely. If there's benchmark events like the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, um, and then we have World Championships each year, you're definitely aiming for that. But also with um, our World Triathlon Championship Series, I think there's maybe like six to eight races for the year. And then that contributes to sort of the championship series points and then who places where with that. Um, So, yeah, if you sort of want to be competitive in the overall series, um, you basically have to do most of the races. Um, But, I mean... I love it. Each race is almost in a different country um, over a few months during the middle of the year. Um, For us Australians, we get to have summer at home and then head over to Europe and almost have summer all year round. So I think just from growing up early in the sport, like you have your training season, you have your racing season and there would be a lot of races you do. So yeah, I think it's just part of the sport and you sort of get used to get used to all the racing that you need to do, um, but definitely keeps it fun and interesting. That's for sure. I, I mean, I definitely sense that passion, Jazz, that you have. Kind of just talking about it, how yeah. much you you love it, which is is great to see. Because I sometimes struggle to get off my ass and go for a, like a three kilometer run, <laughs> and you know, this is the worst thing in the world. Yet you're basically doing yeah. fifty kilometers in three different you know disciplines uh, constantly in a year. So yeah. maybe I need to use this yeah. interview as inspiration for me to not be so lazy. Just start off small. I mean, some mornings it's hard for me to get up as well, but just start small, start small and build. Um, But yeah, I think um, I've kind of always been fascinated with like how much I can learn and teach my body um, to to do a thing. Um, I really enjoyed human biology at school, just learning it, how it worked. And I think the challenge um, of triathlon and trying to get my body to do the best it possibly can um, over a race um, in an Olympic Games on one day. That challenge in itself, um, whilst it's huge, um, when you sort of do succeed at it, it's extremely rewarding. And because there is three sports, because the sport keeps changing, there's constantly so much to learn. Um, So, yeah, I think that challenge in itself just consumes me and I love it. In terms of a regular training week, are you mm-hmm. do you use like Monday for swimming, Tuesday for cycling, Wednesday for running, or is it a case of that each day you try and do all three in one day? Like, how do you generally balance yeah. training in each of them uh, in a in a regular yes. week? 
Yeah, so most days um, is two to three training sessions um, spread out throughout the day. Um, so, yeah, almost every day we do a little bit of everything unless we sort of have a bigger session with one thing. Um, so Mondays we do a swim and a ride. Um, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays is swim, bike and run. Um, but say if we have a bigger ride, we'll do a shorter, easier run type of thing. Um, and then a couple of gym sessions as well during the week. Um, so, yeah, each day normally has a little bit of everything in it. And in terms of just a race strategy with your coach, do you sit down and go, okay, today we're going to go out and we're going to hard and fast in the swim, we'll tone it back on the bike and then hard and fast on the run? I mean, does it depend on where you're competing? Like how do you come up with that idea or is it more of a case of you're a specialist in a certain strategy that works for you, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, so it definitely depends in what races you are doing. Um like a local domestic race in Australia, for example, is a lot different and you would approach it differently to a World Series race where you've got the best in the world there. Um, so sort of for me at this point, um, with the World Series racing, it's kind of just go hard, swim, <laughs> <laughs> bike, run and see how it goes. Um, definitely with the women's racing at the moment, um, the, the breakaway group that's happening in the swim is holding on and if not gaining time on the bike and then the podium's coming from there. Um, so it's really crucial to sort of be as close as you can to the, to the front of the pack, um, the front of the field coming out of the water. Um, so yeah, it's very much just swimming, riding and running um, as best as I can at the moment. Um, no real strategy that is pretty straightforward. <laughs> do, do you ever get into a race sometimes and there'll be one girl who you know, you'll go like, ah, oh, they're just really good at swimming, but they suck on the bike or oh, I've got them on the next two. Like, I mean, because I'm sure there are times when sometimes you just go, wow, they're out in the lead, but oh, but they're really shit at the other two. So I'm all right. <laughs> um, not going to lie. Um, definitely if you've got cyclists in your group, which you know are really strong, but maybe they're not as good as running, you're like, all right, this is good. <laughs> this is good. We can work with them on the bike, but then I've got them on the run. But to be honest, like, with triathlon, the courses are so different. Um, some can be hilly, some can be technical. It can be cold, it can be hot. So you really can't count anyone out with any race because all the situations are so different. Um, you really just got to be prepared for anything, I think. Your first sort of major success, the Australian Olympic Youth Festival. Now, I don't think yes. we've really had any guests on the show who have competed in a youth Olympic festival. I mean, tell us a little bit about what that actually was and what that was like to me. Yeah. I believe you were the first Australian since Emma Snowsill to win that, of course, Olympic champion. Yeah. So uh, that must yeah. be a pretty decent feeling to be able to uh, to break through like Emma did. Oh, no, for sure. I do remember after I did win that race, um, someone told me that Snowy was the last one to do that and obviously she went on to win Olympic gold. So I was like, all right, this isn't a bad <laughs> Good spot track to record. be. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, but, yeah, that Australian Youth Olympic Festival was my first experience um, as like having this team kind of thing. We had the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, and then there was all the other sports and all these other countries competing as well. So it definitely was like a mini Olympics. Um, I think it's for under-19s. I could be wrong. 
Um, but yeah, we had a pre-camp. There was, um, I think there was three or four women and men uh, for the Australian triathlon team. We had a camp in the lead up. Um, like that was amazing. Just sort of being able to experience like the team getting ready together, everyone getting hyped up. And then, yeah, I was able to come away with a win in the individual race and also in our mixed team relay, um, the Australian team won there that I was in. So it was an amazing experience. Um, I think I was just out of school at that time. So still a bit young. And I was like, I want to do this forever. This is, (laughs) this is what I want to do. I love it. You love it. And at that point, sort of around this, that was what, 2012. So was Rio a realistic possibility at that point? Was that something that you were sort of looking towards at that young age? I definitely um, was thinking thinking that way. I think I was a little bit naive at the time because obviously, yeah, I was, I was still young. Um, but I think that just shows sort of the determination and the desire I had um, to get to that level. Um, so I was definitely, I know I was definitely thinking about it at the time. Um, obviously it didn't happen, but sort of for Tokyo, I guess we got there. Um, but yeah, coming out of juniors in triathlon and into the under 23s, which also uh, race with the elites um, is a huge step. Um, I, I didn't know how big it was until I took it. Um, but yeah, I think for those athletes that have sort of pushed through that phase and and learnt and kind of gone through the struggles and, and kept going are uh, the athletes that are doing doing really well at the moment and into elites. Um, so, yeah. You, you mentioned that step up through the age ranks. Is triathlon a sport where yeah. it's often considered an age range is kind of the peak? Like, you know, the older you get, yeah. sort of the middle age. Like, And if so, what is kind of that peak age for a triathlete? Yeah. Um, well, recently with the World Cup, world championships and then also the olympics um sort of the average age for the women um winning those races is like late 20s early 30s um so with it being an endurance sport sort of just the years and years of training um is kind of it it takes that time sort of to get better at it and that's why you see sort of that age range um, at the peak of our sport. I mean, we also have athletes who are mid-20s that are dominating as well, but it's definitely a sport um, you could do for, for a few years sort of into that age group. Um, but you've even got um, like guys in their mid-30s still performing well. So it's just the, the years and years of training, um, what, why you peak sort of around that age. So I'm in my mid-30s, Jazzy, so saying I've still got a chance yeah. if I get off my arm. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We start with a 3K run. We get yep. there. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, this is this is that part where I admit, and I'm pretty sure I've admitted it on the show, otherwise it's an exclusive today. I actually don't know how to ride a bike. I'm 35 and I don't know how to ride a bike. So I need to work on that yeah. part of things, right? Uh- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like Aussies, like learning to swim and kind of riding a bike is what a lot of us do at a young age. So... We're going to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get get, get, get yes. that work thing going on there so uh, yeah. it can it can eventually happen there. Uh, through that yeah. sort of 
Adrian, you, you know, getting success uh, along the way, and we'll obviously talk about what happened in the lead up to 2016 in a moment. But I, I'm reading here on on one of your bios about uh, in 2015 competing in Tasmania. Now I'm Tasmanian. I'm in Tasmania. Yeah. Talk to me about competing yeah. in Tasmania, Jazz. I always get pumped and excited when I can have this uh, question to one of our guests on the show. I love Tasmania. Firstly, correct answer. Um, I just, yes, I went for um, a holiday there last year um, for a couple of weeks with my partner and we just drove around and beautiful, Fantastic. beautiful state. We absolutely loved it, firstly. Um, and then also, yes, competing in Tasmania. Got to say the water is a little bit cold, so not a, not a huge fan. But luckily uh, we get to wear wetsuits if the water is below 20 degrees. Um, so you're always going to make sure that you pack your wetsuit when going to Tasmania. Uh, but growing up um, in high school, we had school sport nationals. So from years eight to 12, um, you'd have the state championships. And then if you were the top six there um, in each state, you'd get to go to a national event once a year. Um, and yeah, during high school, um, I went to Devonport actually in Tasmania uh, two or three times to compete. Um, so that was definitely one of the um, places where I competed the most um, as a younger athlete. Um, and the crowds, the crowds were awesome. Um, there's a really steep hill um, around Devonport, which they'd throw into the race quite a lot and for a few laps. Um, so also a tough course. So very fond memories um, from racing in Tasmania. I was going to say, outside of uh, people catching the boat, I feel like they need to bring some people to Devonport <laughs> for something there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a southerner yes. a little bit, Jazz, so we obviously love the rivalry yeah. between the regions in the state. But it's, it's. I mean, I love it kind of when you can have these events that come here to Tasmania and do that because, and particularly when you said you went on a holiday last year because I had this conversation yeah. with somebody recently. Growing up, you go to the mainland, as we call it, and uh, uh -huh. I'm from Tasmania. People just sort of scoff at you. I'm like, why would I ever go there? Now it's the complete opposite. <laughs> it is you are finding people yeah. wanting to go there. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. I, I love it there and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's definitely changed. And I, I'm calling it the Mona yeah. effect. I'm guessing you would have done Mona when you were in uh, Tassie. Oh, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. It was on our to-do list and we didn't get around to it. So I'm, wow. I'm just going to have to come back. Yeah, you might yeah. have to. It's about yeah. five minutes that way for me. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I'll just uh, I'll get yeah. on, on the FaceTime for it, which, I mean, it, it's seriously insane what that has done for the state. But, uh, I mean, where I'm guessing yeah. did you do the tourist spots like Crater Mountain, Freysonay, those sort of places uh, along the way? Yes. Yes to both of those. Um, we actually went to Tasmania because this was the end of last year and Queenslanders were able to get to Tasmania. It kind of opened for a little bit. Um, and then also like being, well, I'm from Perth originally, live on the Gold Coast now, don't see snow too often. <laughs> so we were like, Tasmania it is. Um, so, yeah, we flew into, I think it was Wellington. And, yeah, we basically just did a lap. Um, so, yeah, Cradle Mountain, uh, Frasionet was amazing. Um, there were some other places along the coast which have slipped my mind. There's penguins around there. I remember one night mm -hmm. we were able to go and watch the penguins walk up onto the beach. Um, and then, yeah, there was snow um, in Wellington up the top of the mountain. So we On went Mount up Wellington? there as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yes, Mount Wellington. Um, so, yeah, no, I highly recommend um, Australians exploring Tasmania if they have not yet. 
correct answer, Jazz. You win off the podium. Well done. Thank you. Uh, I've been waiting uh, several hundred (laughs) episodes for that to happen. So good job. Congratulations. Um, Which I'd love to learn. I mean, actually, you just mentioned it there. You moved to the Gold Coast, so switched from Perth to Queensland. Uh, How big of a transition is that? Because that's a a bloody big move (laughs) from one side of the country to the other. And how important does that go yeah. towards helping you through your triathlon career? Is that sort of the hotbed of triathlon yeah. uh, on the Gold Coast? Yeah, definitely. Queensland has always been um, extremely competitive in triathlon. Um, there's so many good athletes that that come out of Queensland. So, yes, born in Perth, grew up in Perth. Um, when I first started triathlons at nine, the the squad I joined was coached by Stuart Durham, who is still coaching today. Um, and he took me to my first junior world championships. Um, I made the team with him as my coach. Um, I finished fourth there. That was in London in 2013. Um, and I remember feeling so devastated with fourth. Like my full focus was just to go there and win. And um, yeah, I was I was so devastated afterwards. Mind you, I wasn't that far off. I think I was like 35 seconds off first or something. So we were close. Um, but at the time, I was kind of like the oldest in our squad um, in Perth. And I thought like this was the time to kind of make a move to another coach um, and see where I can go sort of in the next levels. Um so at the time, Dan Atkins was um, a National Talent Academy coach. This is back when we had the program and each coach would kind of look over two states um, and it was a development program for the younger athletes. So he'd kind of been overseeing um, the athletes in Perth at the time. And, yeah, that's kind of when I decided to move to Dan as my full-time coach. Um, so this was in Perth. And then I think it was less than a year later, he actually got a job over on the Gold Coast um, as sort of the high-performance coach there. Um, so I remember he he pulled me aside. Um, we're actually at the airport. We were coming back from a race and he was like, like I just want to let you know I've applied for this job. Obviously, if I get it, it would be, mean me moving to Queensland. And obviously, um, he was trying to get it, so I wanted him to get it. But at the same time, I was like, oh my goodness, Queensland is so far away. I think I was 17 at the time. Um, So yeah, he got the job and um, I ended up moving from Perth to the Gold Coast, which is literally the other side of the country um, when I was 18 years old. And this was a few months before the Junior World Championships the following year in 2014. Um, So at the time it was kind of like, I need to be with Dan with the rest of the lead up into junior worlds. And after that, I'll kind of decide if I sort of need to stay over here. And the training was great over there. The weather as well. It doesn't get as cold as Perth does. So that was a bit easier to get up in the mornings, not having to rug up as much. Um, But yeah, I, I absolutely loved the environment over on the Gold Coast. So that became my home after that. How do the parents feel about that, of uh, moving, as you say, literally <laughs> to the other side of the country? Did your sister yeah. not eventually follow yeah. as well? She did. She did. So at the time, she was still in school um, when I moved over. Um, so she stayed at home for another year before joining me. Um, but it's quite funny. I remember when Dan told me, like, he was going to get the job, um, he's like, so, you know, obviously let your family know, like, 
talk to them. And like, I kind of knew that the best position for me to be was to move over with him at that time. And I remember I was, I was so worried to tell mum and dad because we're such a, a strong family unit. We did so much together and I really, I didn't want to leave them. Um, so I remember just like at sort of dinner time when mum was cooking, I'd start asking her questions because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do this soon. So <laughs> I just subtly sort of try and learn stuff. And then, yeah, eventually, obviously I told them and while sort of, they were sad that obviously I needed to move and it was sort of two flights away, a whole day travel away. Um, they knew that this is what I wanted to do and they were extremely supportive of it. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely very hard, um, but I feel like I learned so many things. Um, and, yeah, that was a, a huge learning curve um, when I moved across for sure. Because It's an interesting point you make about that day's travel because – I don't know yeah. if it still holds that status of what Perth being the most isolated, like capital city or like major city in the world, which it's, I've been to Perth yeah. once and it does kind of feel that way. It's a great city. I, I love yeah. Perth, but I guess yeah. Tasmania, you feel isolated, but I mean, we're only an hour from Melbourne, yeah. two hours from Sydney, you know, we're, we're lucky we can be yeah. in these places quickly. So it's obviously yeah. a, a big distance at such a young age, but you're pursuing your passion. So, yeah. I mean, ultimately it's yeah. going to be worth it. Yes, yes, my hopefully. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of desert sort of between Perth mm -hmm. and all the other main cities over here. Um, maybe that's what it is. But, yeah, normally I sort of need to go via Sydney or via Melbourne to then get to Perth. Um, obviously, there's a time difference as well. So, yes. yeah, a trip to Sydney, Sydney sorry, will take me a couple of hours, whereas Perth, it's almost the whole day. Um but, I mean, I absolutely love it there. Um, my partner and also my sister's partner um, hadn't been to Perth before, before they met us. So wow. we dragged them over there one time for Christmas and they absolutely love it. So not biased here. <laughs> We've got well, some good feedback for It is, as I said, been there once and it was sort of yeah. – it just happened on a whim. There were good, fly good flights. I had a friend there. Why not? Never been there and absolutely loved it. It yeah. was just one of those places yeah. where I was like, wow, okay, this is this is Perth and, um, you yeah. know, very, yeah. very beautiful part of the country. I do have to say your football supporters are very passionate, um, which is a word. <laughs> yeah. um, but, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I'm going to ask you, are you an Eagles or a Dockers girl? And Because I've got to be careful, I guess, how yeah. I finish my next sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I'll admit I'm not huge into the football, but when I was at her home, Dockers supporter. Okay, was. good. All right. That's, I'm glad you said that because yes. I was going to say okay. I, I like the Dockers. Uh, I've always okay, called the good. Dockers my second team just because I've always liked them, whereas Eagles, yeah, no, I like it. not, not yeah. a fan. Sorry, Eagles uh, yeah, supporters I'm if you're you. listening. I'm with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dif different, different breed there. Uh, I mean, yeah. leading into sort of that period uh, into the 2016 area, you you have an Achilles injury. Now, I was yeah. reading through uh, your great website, which uh, you had a blog there going. I don't, I don't know if you uh, plan yeah. to update that anytime soon, Jazz, but I, no. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's great. I, I need some updating, but yeah. that's kind of – some baby jazz info you get from the website, but yes, no. One day, one day it will be updated. <laughs> it's 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 thoroughly it's very entertaining for what you've got on there, so I highly recommend it. But Thank you. just just reading through the process that you had to go through with this, 
Now, I, mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm about to say, so I'm hoping you can actually uh, explain okay. this a little bit more for me. So you had yeah. x-rays, MRI scans, ultrasounds, two cortisone injections. Then you had surgery involving a debridement, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, of an Achilles tendon, a removal of your plantaris tendon. Uh, yeah. Then you had re- rehabilitation. Uh, I mean, just the words removal of anything sounds very, very scary. I don't even know what debridement yeah. means. I mean, Jazz, explain yeah. this to me because this sounds quite yeah. horrific. Yes, yes. Um, I'll go back a little bit, um, I think, with my story of this. Um, so, yeah, basically in uh, 2013 was my first Junior World Championships in London where I finished fourth. And then after that disappointment, which has actually been my best performance in a in a world championship since, um, I was like, all right, next year I'm coming back for the win. I'm coming back for the podium. So that was the following year was when I moved over to Queensland um, and was coached by Dan. And I'd been over there for a few months. And then it was one week before I was meant to fly out um, for the junior world championships that I was coming home from a training ride. I was going around a corner and there was a kid on the wrong side of the road. Uh, saw him too late. We collided going slow, but the way I landed, um, I ended up breaking my scaphoid in my wrist. Um, that's a, that's a whole other story in itself. When I went to um, see the triathlon Australia doctor and getting results, cause I just thought I'd sprained it. I hadn't broken a bone actually yet. Um, I was like, it's fine. It's fine. It's just a bit sore. Um, I went swimming and then I was like, Dan, this is, this is kind of starting to hurt. So went in and got some scans, found out it was broken. And I was like to the doctor, oh, well, I'm going to the world champs next week. So, so what do I need to do? And he was like, Jazz, you're not going. (laughs) And my whole world, my whole world came crashing down. Um, I had to actually go into Brisbane. Um, to see the doctor and get the scans. And I remember walking outside and calling mum and dad and I was just in a total mess. I'd moved over all in preparation for this junior world champs. And now I wasn't going for something that was kind of out of my control. And I was like, all right, like eventually I was like, all right, this is okay. There's next year, you know? So then started back training, had done all the rehab with my wrist. And then, yeah, I sort of, was starting to get this feeling in my Achilles, which I knew wasn't good. Um, I was still young at the time, pain. I was like, you can just push through it type of thing. Um, So I kind of kept going. I kind of just thought it'd be okay. Um, And then obviously was hanging around and it sort of kept coming with running. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't okay. So sort of started seeing doctors and physios, um, who were working with Triathlon Australia at the time. And, yeah, basically what ended up happening was um, my plantaris tendon, which actually not everybody has. Apparently we don't need it anymore. Um, really? But mine was causing – yeah, don't need it anymore. Okay. Mine was um, causing me pain, unfortunately. So, yeah, basically what happened was it was quite close in proximity to my Achilles. Um And it was kind of just rubbing um, each time I ran, causing some inflammation. Um, That wasn't the only reason. Um, I believe with injuries, there's always more than one thing kind of going wrong at the time for it to occur. So in combination with lots of running, 
probably a bit much too hard, too hard of running. Um, this inflammation was caused in the sheath of my Achilles. So the actual tendon was okay. Um, cause yeah, when, when you mess up your Achilles tendon, it can be quite bad, but it was the sheath. So sort of like the skin, if you think of a sausage, just that outer layer, um, was sort of inflamed because of the rubbing. So at first we sort of tried a cortisone injection into the area. Um, that would kind of help for a few weeks and then it'd get sore again. Um, so then tried again with another cortisone, but you can only have so many, um, in the, in the one muscle because it can sort of weaken it over time. So after those cortisone injections didn't work, some time off didn't work. Um, I ended up needing to go to surgery. That was kind of like the next thing. Obviously we tried holding, holding off on that. Um, cause surgery is so invasive. Um, but yeah, at the time we didn't know my plantaris tendon was rubbing. So I've gone into surgery thinking like they're just going to break up, which is yes, debridement, exactly as you said it, debridement of I the got Achilles right. okay. sort I'm, of break. I'm terrible at pronunciation usually, Jazz. So you thank did. you for uh, making me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, just breaking up that muscle, The sorry, the inflammation basically. And then um, I woke up from that and they were like, oh, and we've also removed um, your plantaris tendon. You don't need it, so it's fine. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I'm glad they left with that bit afterwards. By the way, we've removed this. You're like, what? Yeah. The, like, what? <laughs> Thanks for that. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was like, if it helps, all good. Um, sure, wow. So, yeah, in, in a boot with crutches um, for a while after that and then, lost the crutches, still in a boot. Um, and yeah, it took me like sort of eight months to get back to normal running again. Um, so yeah, as a young, young athlete, still young person, still, it was, um, very, very difficult time. Um, cause also with that, I sort of wasn't able to compete to try and go to the, the world championships that year. Um, so yeah, a lot of difficult times, which were sort of kind of spread out I guess that it almost felt like there was just something each year that was sort of holding me back type of thing giving me a hurdle to go over um but yeah I learned I learned a lot in those years that's for sure I mean it's always through adversity that you learn these things and it helps you sort of towards these goals uh you talked about sort of writing down things as as a 12 year old I mean were you writing down things and kind of through all of this you were going through that goal of an Olympics was that still something that you were Mm. sort of striving to world championships things like that and is that kind of what helped you get through those moments yeah absolutely um I think like athletes getting injuries it's just like a known thing like it's it's, it's just going to happen you can absolutely try your best there are for sure athletes that sort of get through without injuries but it's like extremely unlikely the the longer you're doing a sport when you're at that level of um trying so hard and and on the edge all the time from sort of pushing and going there like it's bound to happen so when I was young um with my wrist one year and then my Achilles the next, um, I certainly struggled a lot. Um, at the time, um, cause I'd moved over to Queensland. I was living in an apartment by myself. Um, my family was my sister, my mom and dad were still over in Perth. Um, so that was definitely a really hard time. Um, I ended up sort of getting depression during that phase. Um, which sort of, I didn't realize at the time I hadn't really had experience with depression. Um, and then sort of, I went to see a doctor and 
they were, I thought there was something physical wrong. So like my Achilles was happening. I was coming back training. I'd missed both the world championships because of my wrist and then this. And I sort of got back into training, but nothing was really going great. I didn't really see like the, the performance in training that I had been doing. Um, and I sort of didn't really know why. Like I was having blood tests. I was like, oh, maybe my iron's low or something physical was going on. And then I went and saw the doctor and um, he was kind of like, all oh, your blood tests have sort of come back okay. And I was like, oh, well, that's weird. Like, wonder what it could be. And then he sort of started asking me questions about my mood and sort of how I was feeling day to day. And it wasn't really until then where he was saying like, how's your mood? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm pretty sad most of the time, to be honest. And he's like, what about in the mornings? And I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. And then he's asking about my appetite. And I was like, yeah, no, I guess like maybe I've been struggling to eat a little bit, but you know, like it's fine. And then he was like, Jazz, I just possibly want you to think about like, maybe it's depression that you have. And like, it honestly had not even crossed my mind. I think I was 19 maybe or 20 at this time and it literally had not crossed my mind I just thought there was something physical wrong with me and to be honest like once I sort of left that consultation with the doctor and I was thinking about it I was like oh and it was actually like it was okay because I'd worked out what it was and I called mum and dad straight away and was just kind of talking to them about it and like yeah it was like it was okay that I was depressed because then I knew and then it was like something for me to focus on, I guess. Um, and I learned a lot, obviously, like I started working with a psychologist then. So there was like so many things in this period that I'd learned. And that's, that's the great thing about sport is there are so many things that cross over into other areas of life that you learn from competitive sport. Um, so yeah, to be honest with you, like, that time was was really tough but once I realized like what was going on I was sort of able to work out ways to kind of fix it and like get myself to a better place and then there was still always that underlying feeling of wanting to go to the world championships wanting to one day be an Olympian just wanting to do well in this sport and like knowing I still had so much to learn um I was able to, yeah, eventually get back, get back to that place um, and train well again and be happier again. Um, so whilst it was like such a hard period, I don't think like everything that I've, they've, if I didn't go through all of those things, I wouldn't be the person and the athlete that I am today. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for, I have no regrets, I think is what I'm trying to say with the injuries and the different things that pop up at the time, extremely difficult. Um, but yeah, you, you learn. And I always tried to sort of get the positives out of the situation and bring them forward. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, it's fascinating that through a simple accident with a child, <laughs> on a bike, it, it kind of leads yeah. you on a, on a sort of a, a rabbit yeah. trail down to, to that, which I mean, it yeah. it must be a very interesting moment to go to a doctor and have a doctor mm -hmm. ask these questions that lead you on to a, yeah. a depression diagnosis and kind of analysing that because uh -huh. there is always that yeah. mental aspect to any professional athlete and elite athlete going out there, which 
can sometimes yeah. really help with that performance. And did you find that once that was yeah. sort of diagnosed, you were speaking to psychologists and you were able to physically compete again, that things were different, mm-hmm. that with that mental clarity maybe, that things were a little bit different when you did compete? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think like one aspect of, of being an elite athlete, of needing to be, is that desire to win. Like it just, that fire has to be in you. Otherwise we couldn't do what we do. Um, But I think during that phase, I kind of learned that balance is extremely important. So because I was injured, I couldn't train and I couldn't be aiming to go to these races, to the world championships. And that meant that literally my whole world came crushing down. But because of that, I've learned whilst triathlon is extremely um, important to me and I value it, which is fine. I love it. Um, You need to have a balance in life. It can't be the be all and end all because things are going to pop up, which inhibit me from training and racing. And I need to be able to sort of get through that um, with other passions and other things that make me happy. Um, So for sure, um, that definitely taught me about balance. Um, But yeah, it's, finding or using that desire um, that you have as an elite athlete to, to do well and to chase that and to everyday work towards that. But then also being able to deal with the other things that pop up and being able to step back and do other things that make you happy as well to sort of get through those phases. What are some of those other passions then that you use outside of yeah. training? Were, were there other things that you yeah. just really focused on that kind of helped? Yeah, yeah. So my dad um, is an extremely good photographer. Um, He was actually a photography teacher at a high school for 40 odd years. Um, And he's also been employed by sort of other companies. He's done sporting photography, landscape, most of it. Um, And when we were really young, we would go on family holidays in the middle of the year And dad would always give uh, my sister and I a camera. And yeah, we just do trips all around Australia. And I was like, oh, everything I see is amazing. I want to capture it. Um, So from a really young age, I loved photography. Um, And it wasn't just even, well, I think it's later now I've realized it wasn't even just what I was seeing, but the moments I wanted to capture as well. One of my favorite things to do is is to look back on photos from a couple years ago because I don't think my memory is that good. But when I see a photo, I'm like, oh, I remember that so well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love I love photography, especially with all the places I've been lucky enough to travel. Um, I want to try and capture as much as I can. Uh, life goes so fast. And I'm like, no, I just need to capture this, and then if I get photos of it, I can look back <laughs> and be there again. Um, so photography, um, I absolutely loved and cause yeah, I hadn't been in Queensland my whole life. Um, I kind of went out exploring there, taking different photos there. Um, but yeah, the whole creative space, um, absolutely love, um, filming it a little bit, um, and all of that stuff. So that's definitely something I would kind of go into and explore as well. Fantastic. To quote a, a fantastic movie, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to take a look at it once in a while, you might miss it, right? Thank you, Ferris Bueller. It does. Um, it so, does. Yeah, yeah that, that's fantastic. Fantastic. And 40 years. Wow. That's um, that's pretty. Did you did you go to the school your dad taught? Like, did you take your dad's classes? And how's that having your dad as a teacher if you did? So I actually didn't. Um, 
he taught at a school maybe 15 minutes from our house but there was a closer high school um which my sister and I went to um but I kind of felt lucky because I could get lessons off him or ask him questions whenever I wanted to at home yeah yeah yeah, exactly works quite well with that I want to talk about Tokyo obviously and and the yeah. two sides to that, because obviously the dream of qualifying for Olympics mm. is achieved, but it wasn't a simple yeah. case of qualifying you're in, right, was it? I, I, I mean, no, let's let's no. talk about that side of it first before we talk about the feelings of yeah. qualifying because, I mean, this in itself is an interesting story to what it took for you to actually just even get that ticket to go to Tokyo. Yes, yes. No, it was um, it was a lot. I don't really know the right words to describe it besides it was a lot. Um, so, yeah, I had obviously the dream of becoming an Olympian um, and I'd painted that picture sort of in my mind of what it looks like, sort of getting the phone call, going to the Olympics and racing really well. That's how I envisioned it. Um, but obviously we had covid um, which threw a giant spanner in the works, as it did for everyone in the world, no matter what they were doing. Um, but, yeah, obviously the Olympics was supposed to be in 2020. And then at the start of the year, we just we didn't know what was happening. Um, I remember when I competed in the Malulaba World Cup, which was in March of 2020, and we sort of had the briefing, um, which is where they explain everything about the race sort of two days before and there was um, one lady who said, just wanting to let you guys know, like, we're, we're pretty sure the race is going to go ahead, but, like, it might be affected sort of by this, like, COVID thing that's going on. And at the time I was like, this is in a, a lot of us, we were like, this yeah. is in a different country. Like, it's not coming to Australia. It's fine. It's fine. Yep. And then surely enough, that was the last race that I did for 2020. Um, and just... We had no idea what was going to happen after that. This was an Olympic year, which is um, there's Olympic points, which you're sort of competing for. You're trying to get on the team. All of these things. I, I had the year planned about where I was going, where I was competing. And then we just didn't know. So it came to a point where it was kind of like, all right, we're not sure what's happening. Um, it's We need a social distance so we can't train together. So we're just going to split up sort of thing and we don't know what's going to happen but like we'll let you know at some point so basically yeah we myself um my sister my partner and her partner all triathletes um so we understand each other <laughs> we um we, <laughs> that's a fun we household didn't really it is <laughs> fun fun's a good word 98 percent of the time it's fun <laughs> not not when we're all tired um we were like, well, we don't want to stop training in case like all oh, this is fixed in a couple months and we're back to racing. So kind of just kept plodding along. But then obviously 2020, 2020 happened. Um, and yeah, there was no triathlon, no racing. And then towards the end of the year, actually, um, Triathlon Australia were able to put on a couple of local races for us. Um so it was difficult, but there were some races where if you were in Queensland, only Queenslanders could race. Um, so I was lucky to be in Queensland at the time. I was able to get in a few races, which went really well for me. And then um, 2021 came around 
And then, yes, we found out that the Olympics was going ahead, which obviously all of us aiming to get there was extremely excited about. Um, But, yeah, it was just trying to plan and even understand the world at that point. Um, We didn't know what the Olympics was going to look like. Even selection for the Olympics. I mean, normally you're doing like this year, um, all the top level athletes are doing world series races against the best in the world. And uh, the team is picked from there. But I mean, in, in 2021, we had like a domestic race, which the selectors were at, which just seems bizarre because there's like only Australians there, whereas the Olympics is the rest of the world. So, but like, we just had to roll with it. Like, we had no other option. Um, and then sort of in May, um, there was a race which was put on in Yokohama in Japan, which was like the first international one in so long. And I was trying to weigh up whether I go or not because um, I was in the position where if we had 30, so sorry, the top 30 ranking in the world, we had three Australian women within that we got a third spot for the Olympics. If we didn't have three, we only had two. And it just so happened that after 2019, um, where I kind of had some breakthrough performances, uh, my ranking sort of improved just before the world went on hold. And kind of as it started to open again in the lead up to the Olympics in 2021, it kind of rested on my shoulders for me to be that athlete, to then be the third make it into the top 30 as a third athlete. And like at the time, I was also trying to get a spot on the Olympic team. So I had to perform for myself anyway to sort of get a spot. But then it was also like, I almost felt like, oh, well, like the rest of Australia is also depending on me here, which is like I was both grateful that I could be in that position to sort of, need or want to do that for Australia but also it was a little bit of pressure just Um, a bit so yeah just a little bit so with international racing um with the world series level you get more points than say doing a local doing sorry doing a local race so I was needing to look at like do I go over to Yokohama in Japan to try and get these points to try and get into the top 30 or do I sort of stay in Australia Well, at the time, like, I felt pretty safe, to be honest. I felt with Australia during COVID, um, I thought that the government handled it well. We felt safe in Australia type of thing. Obviously, it was very hard with border restrictions. I mean, mum and dad were in Perth. We were in Queensland. So my sister and I couldn't see mum and dad for a very long time, which was hard. But I felt safe in Australia in regards to COVID. And then we're getting closer to the race in Japan. And... um, Japan went into like a higher level of pandemic because the cases had jumped up and we didn't know because obviously Australia was locked down at this point. We didn't know if we went to Japan, if we'd be able to come back into Australia or when that would be. And for me, I was not prepared to leave the country, go to Japan um, in the chase of these points with the possibility that I might not be able to come back to Australia. Um, We didn't know the situation as well at the race. Like obviously after people went there and competed, we found out like you're strict restricted to your hotel room. You could only go out uh, for like chauffeur training sessions. 
there was obviously like um, separators everywhere. Um, it was all very, very strict. The food was delivered to your room. You really didn't get a choice like with that. Um, so like, yeah, that pandemic in itself um, with the effect on sport and the Olympics was just huge. And it was just because there were so many unknowns. And like, obviously I had this vision of like what my first Olympics would look like. Even the Olympics just in itself is like a massive thing to sort of prepare for. And now sort of we're trying to work out in a pandemic how we sort of prepare and, and what it looks like. Um, so there was just a lot in regards to that, into the selection, into sort of getting those points so we get a third spot. And, yeah, that whole whole lead up, like, it was just sort of taking a week at a time. We'd have sort of week fortnightly meetings. Um, we'd try on Australia just, trying to give us information on the latest stuff that was happening and it, it would just change every week. Um, so really you just kind of had to go with the flow. Um, I'm a bit of a planner, so that was a struggle. <laughs> hey, we're, the, we're the best type <laughs> of people, Jazz. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? <laughs> no, no, exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, um, it was really difficult, that's for sure. So with that then, do you ultimately mm -hmm. go to Yokohama to fight for that? Uh, and, and if so, tell us what happens then because uh, yeah. obviously you end up at yeah. the Olympics. So on paper yeah. it sounds like you get the spot, you go to the Olympics. <laughs> but, uh, I, I mean, is it more yeah. complicated than that? Yes, yeah, um, absolutely. So also after Yokohama there was um, the Oceana Championships, which we were holding in Australia. Um, so basically there's like, the European championships and then like the Australian, the, sorry, Oceania ones, and you get more points for them. Um, so what sort of was discussed with my plan was going from Australia to Yokohama to try and get some good points then, then travelling back to Australia, quarantining for two weeks, which is what you had to do at the time, if yep. I was allowed to come back into the country, and then two weeks later competing in the Oceania championships which we were having in Queensland to get more points then. Um, so, yeah, like I said before, a lot of things weighed up that decision. I ended up deciding not to go to Yokohama. I just wanted to stay in Australia, train the best I could there and prepare for the Oceana race. Um, so, yes, in June, um, there was two races they held. The Oceana was the first one. And then two weeks later, there was another race, both in Cairns. Um, so yeah, basically we traveled up to Cairns and we were based there for those couple of weeks. And then that Oceana race, which we were lucky enough to have Kiwis come, which was just amazing after the last year and a half, seeing people from another country. <laughs> and then, yeah, I kind of knew that that was my last opportunity to gain points, to sort of move into the top 30. It, it wasn't even a guarantee because there was other races that were happening as well at the time with other athletes that could have moved in the ranking. Um, so, yeah, headed over to Cairns. Um, and there's actually another funny story with that because my parents um, were driving over. I think um, the state sort of had finally sort of opened up a little bit um, and mum and dad were driving from Perth over wow. to Cairns. Big yes, drive. Yes, which is <laughs> yeah, huge. <laughs> that paints, paints a picture of the support they have for us. Far um, out. Wow. But um, 
we have a dog as well and she's getting a little bit old. So, of course, we wanted to see her. So, if they drove, they could bring her along. Wow. Um, so, yeah, they were heading up to Cairns as well. Um, and we knew as well the date of when we find out, uh, when we get the phone call of whether we're in the um, Australian Olympic team or not for 2020, 2021. So mum and dad are heading over, they're driving over. We're heading up to Cairns. Um, this is obviously a very important race, not just for me to perform, to earn selection in the team, but also to really try and get that third spot for Australia. Um, so we've headed up to Cairns. We've got a bit of training there before the first race. Mum and dad are driving over. Um, and there was actually a problem with um, the car, the, the truck that mum and dad drive. Dad's bought this truck. It used to be used in the mines. He's pulled everything out that's on the inside, decked it out with a bird, kitchen, all of it. So it's basically like a four-wheel drive caravan, um, nice. which they were driving over. So there was one part that wasn't quite working. Dad definitely told me the name of it, but I'm not good with cars, so I can't remember what it was. <laughs> so they had to quickly go back to Perth because um, this part's hard to get. Um, I, I love, sorry, I love how you say quickly go back to Perth. I hope they weren't really? like in Alice Springs or something like that. Like, you know, I hope no. they were kind of close. <laughs> yeah, no, closer than that. Um, <laughs> but then they went back, they kept driving, and actually just after they passed through Alice Springs, um, mum and dad just were doing the normal, having dinner, I think they were, and because it's a truck, there was like a ladder, um, just a little footstep ladder to get up into there. And mums ended up slipping off and sort of what we got told, just cutting her leg a little bit at the time. Um, so, yeah, we're in Cairns. It's like a couple of days before the race. Kira and I are super stoked that we're not only going to see mum and dad for the first time in a while, but they're also going to watch us race, which is obviously what they used to do when we were kids. It was like such a big thing. So a lot of excitement. And then I'm at the shops um, with my partner, Kai. We're just doing the food shopping and I get this call from like a weird number. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to answer that. And I was like, oh, maybe just in case. I answer it. It's dad who's at a pay phone near <laughs> Alice Springs. Hi, Jazz. Um, unfortunately, something else has happened. Mum sort of slipped, cut her leg. We just need to go back to the hospital, which is in Alice Springs because they'd gone past it. So they'd headed back there and I was like, okay, I've, I've spoken to that. I'm like, if they're going to the hospital, this cut's probably a bit more major than what I'm picturing. Yeah. So then I, then I talked to Kira and we're looking at the timelines and we're like, oh, I don't know if mum and dad are going to be able to make it for the race. And then I was kind of like, I would rather them, them be here when I get the phone call about the Olympics, whether I'm in the team or not. Um, so I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So mum ended up, they ended up going to the hospital. She had something like, I don't know, 15 stitches in her leg. Like it wow. was a gas. Not, not just Dad a cut. Said, no, no. Dad later told us he could see the bone and we were like, okay, you left out that detail before fun. So anyway. I don't know if you needed was, to hear that though in the lead up to maybe the most yeah. important race of your life. So thanks, Dad, maybe. Know, that was probably a good idea. And normally they, they definitely try and hold back information, but we were definitely pressing. We were like, we need to know what's happening. We need to know when you're seeing you. <laughs> anyway, surgery went well. Um, but then at the same time, um, 
we had the race. Mum and dad weren't able to get there. We had the race and I was able to take the win. Um, I'd planned the race out in my head so many times. I needed to have a good swim. I needed to be on that front pack on the bike. I needed to conserve as much energy as I could to then put in the best 10K I could ultimately to win the race. And it was just one of those days where it was a good day. Things went to plan and I was so grateful. I crossed that line winning, knowing I'd gained maximum points I could to get into the top 30 and relief, <laughs> exhaustion just flooded me. Um, so I was just, I was so, so happy. I could not only put in a good performance for me, for me, but also able to deal with that pressure of basically the rest of Australia, the weight on my shoulders um, to perform for them and like allowing another spot for another Australian woman to compete at the Olympics. So that was a huge thing. I was glad that I could achieve that. And then it was only a few days later um, that we were actually getting the phone call um, about whether we were in the team or not. Um, so the timing was actually pretty funny because by the time mum had actually gone in for surgery, it was the same day we were getting the phone call, um, whether we were in the team or not. Um, so we knew the time we were getting this phone call. We knew the day, the night before I couldn't sleep. I was just replaying this over and over in my head, just them saying like, you've made it, <laughs> you're in the team. But I mean, to be honest, like I still was not certain at this time, like this whole process with the Olympics and gaining selection was so different to anything else. Um, I hadn't raced internationally in so long along with like most other Australians. And I just, I really did not know what I was going to hear on this phone call. So we've, we've had a session because it was about midday um, that we found out and I've, I'm in the change rooms after swimming and my phone's ringing and it's the high performance director. And I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm sweating. I'm freaking out. And I haven't known what to do because I was in a change room. So I've just kind of walked out the front of the pool and gone around the side of the building. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> he started talking and then, kept it very professional just kept it straight to the point because obviously he had a lot of phone calls to make and honestly I can't even remember the exact words but it was something like you are being nominated to be on the Olympic team for selection this year my heart like I couldn't even hardly hear him because my heartbeat was just in my ears I just remember being like okay <laughs> that's all I could say I was like okay and then kind of said like a few more things about what was coming up after that and then I got off the phone and I've looked over to the car park and my partner's standing there and I've just like kind of nodded and I've just like burst out into <laughs> tears and Kai's <laughs> run over and he's just giving me the biggest hug and then my sister's come out and she's seen me so like I've had my partner there. I've had my boyfriend there during like this moment, which I have envisioned for so long. And <laughs> I was just, oh my God, it was honestly like one of the best moments. Cause yeah, from nine, I'd like pictured this amazing. and just like amazing, amazing. And then we've gotten in the car and, and mom's like in the surgery at that point. 
And obviously they knew what time we were getting the phone call. So dad's messaged me and he's like, have you heard yet? And I was like, I can't tell dad without mom being there. Like I need to tell him <laughs> at the same time. So I've messaged dad and I've been like, oh, there's just been like some delays. <laughs> As if there's delays with a phone call like this. So then I was like, just, just let me know when mom's awake. <clears throat> so then anyway, I was like an hour or so late. It felt like forever. Dad's kind of message and he's like, mom's awake. And then I'm, I'm with my sister <clears throat> back at our place we were staying. And I've just FaceTimed him straight away. And he's kind of like, like, shh, like we're in a room with like other people, like mum's in recovery. Like we can't really talk right now because dad <laughs> thinks I haven't got the call. And I was like, no, dad, like we really need to talk to you right now. <laughs> like is, is mum there? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah. She's just sort of coming out of the, coming back from the anesthetic. And I was like, <laughs> can we just quickly talk to you boys? So mum and dad have the phone there on FaceTime. Mom is literally just coming back to <laughs> my first questions are, Mom, like, are you okay? How are you feeling? And she's like, Have you got the phone call? Have you got the phone call? <laughs> just the tell first us. Team just tell us. And I was just like, Yes, I got the phone call. And yes, I'm going. And poor mom's just trying to come to. And then wow. she's got this information. Pretty sure her heart rate isn't supposed to be that high right now. <laughs> but oh my God, it was. It was just so beautiful. Like, obviously, I pictured them being there, but like, this was just, it was honestly, it was just perfect. Um, it was really, really great. So, I think up until that moment, um, everything had kind of been going to plan, which was, um, it was really nice after the last sort of year and a half we'd had. Which, I mean, yeah. obviously, I want to talk about what happened then, but like, just again, yes. going back to that nine year old watching the Olympics are yeah. there. I mean, again, yeah. I'm, again, I'm 35, Jazz, and I'm hoping that one day that I might achieve that. But, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine just everything that goes into that moment. As you said, you've been dreaming yeah. for that. You've got your family there, everything along those lines. I mean, just yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible to be able to experience that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was crazy because it was something I dreamed of. And it was a goal that was pretty lofty. It was pretty hard. There's been a hundred percent moments where I did not think I could do it. Like just one thing would go wrong. Another thing would go wrong. And I was like, I don't know if I could do it, but like deep down, like I knew it was still there, but there was those hard moments where I was like, I don't know. So then when that moment like finally came, it was for sure one of the best moments of my life so far. Now, I want a, a two-pronged section to this part of your Olympic experience because obviously I know yeah. there's uh, not necessarily the best side of things, but then I yeah. want to hope there's at least some positive side of things, which I'll get to. But from that phone yeah. call on then through to the race, obviously wasn't quite yeah. a straightforward situation. There were no. appeals no. and injuries and, and then the race itself, you obviously uh, weren't yeah. – uh, you know, too happy with how that all went. So can you give us a bit of yeah. an insight into kind of what happened from then yeah. through to the Olympics? And then I'll ask you about the, the positive yes. side of things of, of Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that day, that phone call, I was like, this is amazing. Like I couldn't have pictured this year going any better. And then a couple of days later, um, I woke up and got out of bed, as you do, and I was like, oh, I think I sort of feel a little bit of a pain um, in my quad. Nothing major, just this slight feeling. And um, my partner, Kai, 
had experienced um, a really bad stress fracture um, two years before. And I remember before he knew what it was, he was telling me how he was feeling. Um, he'd gotten off the plane and his hip flexors just felt tight. And I was like, oh, that's just like from the travel. And then he raced and like it was still sore and ended up finding out what it was. And at this time, I'd never had um, a bone stress injury before. I'd had tendon injuries. I'd had sort of other problems, muscle problems, but not bone. And when I had this feeling, I just instantly thought of what he told me with the symptoms he had. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, let's not go to extremes, Jazz. <laughs> you haven't had bone stress before. I'm, I'm sure it's not that. But there was definitely some panic that I had. So I had breakfast and I was driving to training and I was like, I've just got to message our physio that's here. Like, I just, I just need to have him, get him to have a look, see what's going on. Had swimming. Like, it was actually fine during swimming. I was like, oh, like, this isn't too bad. Like, I was just freaking out for no reason. After swimming, go see the physio. He does a couple of tests. And, like, obviously, with the timing of this, any injury is bad. But a couple of days ago, I just found out I'm on the team. All my dreams are coming to life. So he was he was very sensitive with it. And he was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not really feeling good with this. I don't want to give you anything to say that it's fine in case it's not. So he's like, let's just get an MRI let's just check it. Let's just clear it. And I was like, okay, yes, let's, let's do that. Then, then I can have peace of mind. I'm 99% sure everything's fine. I just want to be able to totally relax. So then by this time, mom and dad had arrived, which I was extremely grateful for, and then ended up going and having the MRI. Obviously your mind is, is my mind was playing tricks on me the whole time. I'd go from, it's not feeling that bad to wait a second, am I feeling something here? And this this was just walking around um, during the swimming, like it was actually fine. And then once I'd seen the physio, he was like, also, let's just rest you. Let's just take all the precautions right now. Because obviously the Olympics like wasn't far away at this point. This was June. So there was a tight timeline. Very and, close. Um, very close. Went for the scans. And then I knew that um, our triathlon Australia doctor was going to call me with the results. Um I was with my coach at the time and I see my phone ringing and I'm like, this is it kind of thing. And I walk outside. He came with me actually. And my doctor has told me that you have a grade one stress reaction in your femur. And like instantly, instantly, I was like, that's it. Like I'm off the team. I'm not going. This has all come to an end. Um, she was really great. I like, I had never had bone stress before, so I didn't know exactly the timelines, the process, but I knew what was this two months out? Like it wasn't good. Um, I spoke to the doctor, our high performance director also spoke to me on the phone. They were like, jazz, everybody that needs to know about this knows we will do what we have to do. But right now we're just going to keep going and work with what we have. You're not off the team until we know like you're incapable of competing and you're incapable of being at the best you can be for the games. So I was kind of like after that phone call, okay, like maybe this isn't the end. It's definitely not how I envisioned my lead up, but I was like, I've got to keep going with this. Um, so basically after that, until the point of going, uh, leaving for Tokyo, I had to have an MRI every week. Um, 
obviously I could feel if it was getting better, but this was the Olympic Games. They couldn't purely go off what I was saying because I could be like, it's fine. I want to go to the Games, no worries. <laughs> um, obviously, like, I, I didn't have that perspective because I wanted Australia to do well. I didn't want to be there if I didn't think I could compete at the best level. So every week on a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, I would go in for an MRI and they would check um, if, it, if it had shrunk, if it had stayed the same, if it had grown. I saw my doctor every week, had to let her know how I was feeling. Um, so even even just that, every week I was going to this scan and I was like, I, I, I feel like it's getting better. I haven't felt it, but could it be getting worse? Like, I don't know. So that was a slightly stressful time. Um, but yeah, luckily um, we were really aggressive um, with the rehab from there. I went on crutches for a couple of days. Um, I actually couldn't compete in that second race. That was also in Cairns. Um, that sort of fell in that timeline. Um, but we were really aggressive with, with the rehab. And then sort of also in that time, it was actually my birthday when I got the phone call and found out that there has been an appeal um, against the team, the selection, um, who at that time was myself and Emma Jeffcoat because um, Ashley Gentle was picked um, at the end of the previous year. So the appeal was against sort of Emma and I um, at that time. And um, like TA was great. They were like, this always happens. This is just part of the process. Like, at this level, there's so many of us trying to get on that team and with only three spots, like it's close. We kind of expected this to happen. So sort of we've had this appeal put in place. So whilst I had confidence I was in the team and I had confidence that it wasn't going to go through, it still wasn't I could say I was on the team. And also at this time we also weren't allowed to tell anybody um, yeah. until the, the appeal was done until we could announce it to the public. So, yeah, I'm, I'm rehabbing my, my FEMA. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for this appeals process to go through, trying to, try to hold this all together. Um, so, anyway, long story short, um, the appeal um, got denied. Um, we remained, Emma Jeffcoat and I, in the team. Um, we had sort of some media stuff that we went through um, before the announcement, which was extremely exciting. Um, we got to see some of the uniform. They were obviously asking us questions um, about everything that was going on, which was just amazing. Like it all started to feel real again. Um, but like, to be honest with you, I'm like, this isn't even something I've really spoken to anyone about besides those close to me. Like I still just didn't know if, I was going because of my injury. Um, so anyway, the, the rehab did go really well. I had no problems after that. I was able to build back into my training. And then obviously I had to do fitness tests to show that I was still at the level to compete. Um, and then, yeah, it was um, the team got announced, which, which was another really, really special moment where I could finally tell everyone about it. Um, I love your social media people... posts, your your oh, Instagram, where you're sort of you. like, I'm going to the thank Olympics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was just like another amazing moment. Um, and then, yeah, I was I was back into training. Everything was, was going really well. Um, Kai actually kind of put his training on hold for a little bit and was pacing me with sessions, was training with me. He was doing everything he could. Um, I was still sort of, 
um, attaching this contraption to my leg every day, which was meant to sort of help the bone heal quicker. There wasn't even really research um, with whether this would help the grade that I had because it was the lowest one. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot going on. Time was moving really quick. Obviously with the Olympics being in a pandemic, there was all this other stuff sort of we had to do and, and paperwork and getting information like about what a close contact meant, what like what would mean um, if you were one and then could you race and all of this stuff, weekly meetings again. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was very, very hectic. And then also at the time, my, my partner's dad had been diagnosed with stage four cancer, cancer at the start of 2014, sorry, 2019 stage four bowel cancer. And then that's obviously another story in itself, but, um, he, he'd been fighting it. He, he'd been still been loving life. Everybody that knows him just knows the character that he was, this Australian full of life. It was like nothing could get him down. And then after that Cairns trip, when we came back home and it was these, these two months before the games was when he kind of started to deteriorate a lot more than um, he had previously. And because like we'd been in Cairns for those couple weeks, um, both myself and my partner Kai, we, we hadn't seen seen him a whole lot. He came to the races, which was great, but obviously we were focusing on what we had to do. And then it wasn't until we sort of came back from Cairns and, and we were back at home with him that we kind of realised things weren't going so great again. Um, so that as well, I think at the time, like you just automatically do what you need to do, like, I, I wanted to spend time there. I want to spend time with his family. Like I wanted to help Kai out with the challenges that came up with that. And I think at the time as well, I maybe didn't realize like the emotional toll <laughs> that yeah. that would take, take on me. Um, so yeah, I think um, there was, there was a few factors um, that were, that played a role in sort of my lead up to the Olympics. Yeah. It's, it sounds like there was a bit going on there with, with all of that, which, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. just one more thing on this side, because I really do want to focus on some positive side of things. But, like, yeah. you, you in a bit of a talk you and I had before this interview, you described your race at the Olympics as your worst performance ever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you ultimately yeah. you got lapped. But, I mean, yeah. judging on everything that you had going on there, Jazz, I mean, it's it's hard not to expect that something like that won't happen because mentally, physically, everything, yeah. I mean, do you look back on it now that it's been a bit of time and think to yourself the fact that you were just there was an achievement in itself and that no matter how you finish yeah. that race, just even starting that race was a win in itself? Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. I think like when I was preparing for the games, like you, you just tell yourself you're ready and you're just focusing on that one race and everything you have to do things come up and you sort of, you deal with it. Like the injury and stuff, I was, I was dealing with it. And I was like, okay, we've done that. We're moving forward. We're still ready. And there was just full focus on this race and what I had to do for those just under two hours in Tokyo. And then, yes, I've never been lapped before. I've never not finished a triathlon literally since I was nine years old. And then we have come to almost the end of the bike leg the whole race, I've, I've felt terrible. I felt flat. 
I knew I wasn't at my best and like I just I just kept pushing. I was like, this is the Olympic Games. I'm just gonna do what I can here. I need to give my absolute best until I cross that finish line. And we're coming on the last lap of the bike, there's maybe like three, four hundred meters before transition before we get off. And with triathlon, if you're lapped on the bike, you need to stop for safety reasons, not to get in the way of those leading the race. Um, once you get to the run is fine, obviously running, it's not a danger. So we're like 400 meters from the dismount line and the motorbike stops us. He's like, you guys are about to get lapped. You need to stop. And I was honestly, I was just in shock. I, I didn't, I knew what was going on, but I was like, no, this can't be right. This is not what I've envisioned. This is not what I've prepared for, for the last 10 odd years. And I was sitting on the side of the road going, what is going on? And Ash Gentle, she was there with me, um, amazing athlete in herself. She was great. She was great with me. Obviously, she was extremely disappointed, but she was just hugging me. She was just like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I was just sitting on the side of the road going, what is happening? And later on, I realized I was like, I never, ever want to feel that feeling ever again. So obviously, some decisions were made post. but. At the time, I'd just been focusing fully on that race and what I had to do. And it wasn't until afterwards where I started processing everything that I'd spoken to you about, everything that happened in the lead up. <clears throat> and I was like, all right, so it was an achievement in itself, just making the team. But like, so I was proud. I was proud of everything I'd gotten through to get to that point. But I was also like, it's not what the Olympics is about. It's about making a team and then performing on the day. <laughs> That's what yeah. I was supposed to do. Um, but 100%, it took me a little while to sort of be okay with knowing I did my best with everything that popped up for that performance. Um, but it really took me a long time to sort of be proud of myself and be okay with, with that performance, which was... <laughs> the worst of my career, um, unfortunately, on the biggest sporting stage of the world. <laughs> Which, I mean, you mentioned something earlier when you said you finished fourth yeah. in a junior world championship and you were disappointed yeah. and looking back on that now, it's yeah. like, well, that sounds pretty good. No matter what happens yeah. from this point on, you're always going to be introduced as an Olympian. So, I mean, yeah. that's obviously something that you as a nine-year-old were thinking, wow, this will be incredible. Yeah. And ultimately, yes, you yeah. don't perform to maybe what you think you – were capable of or know you were capable of, but that that can never yeah. get taken away, which I guess leads into what I was going to say with the positive side of things. Through all of that that's yeah. going on with that jazz, can you yeah. take in any of that Olympic experience? Yeah. It's a very unique Olympics, yeah. obviously. It's it's not the, quite the same as maybe you would have expected it to be, but were there things yeah. at least that simply pulling on the jersey and seeing the rings on your on your top, you know, hanging yeah. out with other Olympians, seeing other athletes, were there those moments where yeah. it kind of hit you and you were able to at least soak that in when you were in Tokyo? Oh, absolutely. Um, the village, amazing. Um, firstly, seeing just you'd walk around from like the Australian building to like the food hall um, and all these other athletes from all these other countries all the best in the world are just, they're all here in this one spot. And that was just an amazing feeling to then be a part of it and be like, oh my gosh, I'm one of them as well. Um, <laughs> so there was a hundred percent, a hundred percent amazing parts. The Australian culture, the vibe, everything was just amazing. I think because 
um, obviously there was no fans, um, people on the side, family, all of that. They couldn't get to Tokyo. Normally, I, I mean, I haven't been to another Olympics, but I think if your family was there, you'd kind of see them every now and then a little bit. But all the Australians could just be in this one spot in our building, either there in the village or at their race competing. So it was just, it was buzzing. It was amazing. One of my favorite things was down the bottom of the building, just outside, we had this shaded area with two TVs, all these chairs, barista right there. And it would always be packed with Aussie athletes watching the other ones compete. And there was just so many amazing moments from that. Just like, just being part of that. Everyone was so positive. Everyone was so nice and encouraging each other cheering gold medalists when they walked back through it was absolutely amazing and then one other thing which was like really special for me um Kenny Wallace was one of the um Australians working there um to like help us athletes basically when us Aussie triathletes first got there he gave us a tour he was like kind of if you've got any questions just just ask and then I I messaged Kenny um, one of the first few days I was down, I was like, so this is like a bit of an odd one, but sort of at the moment, my, my partner's dad, he's, he's fighting stage four cancer. And I just had this idea that it'd be a really cool thing if a few Olympians could kind of give a little message, a little video, and, and I could send it to him for him to watch. And Kenny was great. He was so great. He, um, he gathered a few. Um, there was Sam Stozer, Jess wow. Fox, Alex wow. Winwood. Um, okay. all, all did a little video message, um, Fantastic. for me to send to, to, to send to Kaza. Um, so, I mean, that just shows you like the Australian culture. It was, um, everyone was so supportive. Like they, they wouldn't have known me. Um, and they've taken the time out. Obviously they're focusing on their races to put together this little message message for him. So there was honestly, there was so many amazing, amazing moments, um, that also came out of my Olympic experience, which is uncomparable to anything else I've experienced so far. <laughs> That's an incredible story to, to hear that sort of level yeah. that that can go to. And as you said, like in the middle of an Olympics, when people are, you yeah. know, in their, their mindset, they're there, someone like Jess Fox doing that, Sam Sosa, like incredible to, to, to think that. And through all of that though, yeah. Jazz, going back to what one of the things you said earlier, I mean, I can imagine it does then light the fire. For, for more like I mean at the time of recording yeah. this we're less than two years from Paris it's 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 the benefit yeah. of having an Olympics that was delayed a yeah. year is that the next one's a lot closer so I mean yeah. I can imagine that that is that just lighting the fire in you right now and and sort of driving you yeah. towards Paris yes a hundred percent now I can definitely say that um post post the Olympics um there was definitely a really really hard period for me um my partner's dad ended up passing away one week after my race um, in the Olympics. So I had the Olympics, which was extremely disappointing. And then someone, yeah, I was obviously very close to then passed. So then, and then actually after that, um, I wasn't able to get back to Australia for like a month and a half. Um, I had planned after Tokyo to go to Canada, um, which had two more. There was a World Series race and, and the World Championships. So beforehand, obviously, it was it was a really big journey to like leave Australia at this point. I was like, okay, if I'm going to go to Tokyo, I then want to continue on and sort of do some more races and make the most of it. 
So when I left or just before I sort of left Tokyo and flew to America and then going to Canada, I knew it was going to be extremely difficult to come back to Australia um, just with how the world was at that moment. And obviously Australia was still basically locked down. And I remember sort of talking to my partner and I was like sort of, how's Keza going like at this point? Because sort of if I continue, I know I know it's going to be hard to come back. And Kai was like, you know, he's he's not doing great, but he's stable. You know, like we, we think he's all right. So then flew to America and I'd been there for like a couple of days. We were just training there before going to Canada for the races. And it had been a couple of days and Kai's called me and he's like, okay, so it's not looking good. Um, we sort of, we don't know how much longer he has. And then obviously that was a very difficult phone call. Um, but then I got off the phone. And I was like, I have to go home. Like no race is incomparable to me needing to be at home right now. Um, I called um, one of our um, TA staff who sort of helped us with the flights. And I was like, I need to get home. He was like, leave it with me. I'll call you back. He's called me back like a day later, which felt like the longest time. Mm. He was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, the only flight path to get you back is going to cost you 36 grand. And he was wow. like, I'm, I'm not going to let you do this. I mean, I couldn't have afforded it anyway. Um, but I was like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck over here. So then from America, I went to Canada. And then at this time, there was all these COVID rules still put in place. So basically, we had to stay in our hotel room. Uh, we got food delivered, which we had to eat in our hotel room. The only time we could leave was for chauffeur training and then for the race. I'll be totally honest with you. I did not want to train. I did not want to race at this point in time. That was just taking more energy from me that I did not have. I was literally just trying to get through each day. But I was like, if I don't train and if I don't race, I can't leave this hotel room. <laughs> I'm stuck yeah. here and I still had quarantine for when I got back to Australia. So anyway, I, I got through those two weeks. Um, luckily, I was able to watch the funeral over Skype, which was beautiful. It was actually the day before the, the World Championships in Edmonton and I kind of decided in that week I, I wasn't going to race. I just physically couldn't do it. But after I watched the funeral and then, obviously seeing all these amazing memories and all these amazing stories that people told about Keza, I was like, no, nah, I've just got to go out there and have fun. Like that's what he'd want me to do. So then went and raced that world championship. Sorry. I, I was like, don't cry. Dad. <laughs> You're not crying during this podcast. So anyway, um, I also couldn't get a flight back to Australia for another two weeks. So I um, traveled to um, Boulder, who I have a friend that lives there, also an Australian triathlete. She was great. Just had fun with her for two weeks, literally like a life savior at that point. Flew back to Australia. And then I was stuck in Sydney for two weeks with the quarantine. And like, to be honest, also at this point, because Sydney had a lot of cases, I didn't even know if I was allowed to fly from Sydney back to Brisbane into Queensland after just quarantining there. Luckily, I was able to. So I had those two weeks in quarantine with a lot to process, which um, it was kind of a nice time, funnily enough, because I was just in this room with nothing I had to do for two weeks. And it was just just my time just for two weeks just to work out my life, basically. Yeah. Um, and then traveled home and then, yeah, went through um, a lot of, 
lot of processing in like the triathlon sense and also with Kine and his family and working through that. But I made sort of a lot of decisions in that point to sort of change some things. Um, I decided to change coaches at that point in time and changing squads, which um, meant a lot of changes down the line. Um, but yeah, it took me um, a really long time to get where I am now, which is a good place. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying myself, which I'm so happy to say, because um, this time last year, a little bit later on, um, it felt like an impossible place to get to. Um, but no, I, I learned obviously so much. I, I made changes and I'm so grateful for where I am now. And yes, Paris 2024, let's go. I, I first of all, I gotta say that it's 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 nice to have people crying on this show, not for the sake of oh plot, <laughs> stop this crap, like turn it off. You know, it's actually yeah. you know a, a different level of crying there. But I mean, just an incredible story of resiliency, kind of going way back to when we were talking about that injury to now this part of things. I feel like it's just third time lucky for you, Jazz, basically. That, you know, 2016 <laughs> yeah. obviously didn't happen, 2021 happened, but then it's obviously got yeah. all this stuff that sadly happened around it. But now third time lucky Paris. I don't know yeah. if you're one, you're talking about being a planner, but I don't know if you're one for superstitions <laughs> and third time lucky because I feel like this is, this is where it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, like I said, the hard times teach you things 100%. You learn yeah. things. Um, so, yeah, it's going to have to be something pretty damn big to stop me getting there, that's for sure. I can imagine that hug, that first yeah. hug you had with your partner <laughs> when you finally got to see him yeah. after all that, probably the most special hug you've ever had with him in yeah. your life. Yes, it was quite a long hug. Yep. <laughs> At yeah, the <laughs> absolutely yeah. insane. Wow. Well, we appreciate you sharing that story, Jazz. Uh, thank you so much, uh, obviously, to kind of hear all that. If you need a moment, please, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> to take one because I've got some questions that will uh, maybe uh, get, yeah. get you in a in a different mood in just a moment there. But it's, yeah. it is kind of so fascinating just learning about those journeys and we always love hearing about, you know, all the elements that go into it because obviously – we sit on the couch, we watch you guys at the Olympics, we're cheering you on, we're very proudly, you know, wearing the green and gold, but there are all these stories that led into it. I mean, when you're nine years old watching Athens, you know, you're doing exactly yeah. that, not learning that. But it's, I can imagine, yeah. is it something that you see yourself through everything you're sharing today that passing that on? Like, are you using that already with, say, the next generation yeah. of triathletes? Or if not, is it something you'd like to maybe in the future in a, in a post-triathlon yeah. career to use your experiences to help the yeah. next generation to kind of help them through their issues? Oh, 100%. Ben, there will be a book one day. Please, I was going to say, that that's it. a suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. You've got your yeah. first buyer right yeah. now. I expect a dedicated copy to me, <laughs> Jazz. Yeah, sign, sign and everything. Um, no, I think um, it's, it's important to explain the hard times because it's very easy for stuff to sort of look perfect from the outside um, to look like everything goes well and it's a smooth journey. And I don't want to lie to people. I want to say that there are hard times and I know obviously in the world, most other people are going through extremely hard times as well. And when I hear stories about other people going through stuff, that connection being like, oh man, I've been through that too, is something us as humans crave and it makes us better and it helps us to get through things. So I think it's extremely important to explain everything that goes on, the good and the bad, um, in the hope that it does help other people. It does it does help them get through tough times if they have it. Um, but, yeah, also with 
the younger generation of athletes coming through, I 100% um, want to help them um, and give back. Um, I love sort of going to school visits and, and talking to the kids there about different things I've gone through. Um, it's something that's so fulfilling and it's so lovely seeing all their faces sort of light up and especially when they say like, oh, I want to do that. I want to go to the Olympics. Um, that's 100%. Um, one of my favourite thing, things about this is, um, yeah, the, the give, giving back to the sport and, and everything that comes with it. Which I've got to say too, you've got yeah. a couple more Olympics in you, Jasmine. Paris, great one to go to LA. Then you've got a home Olympics yeah. you've got to look towards uh, in Brisbane. And and also we've got, to, we've got to get back on the podium for triathlon. This was our sport. With every Olympics we were winning medals yeah. and all of a sudden it's been a couple now yeah. and obviously a little bit of a while since Emma took that gold in Beijing. So we, we need to, you know, yeah. we can't let, I mean, I'm sure Flora's a great person and Bermuda, I'm so happy that they won their first <laughs> Olympic gold medal, but we can't have Bermuda yeah. winning triathlon and not Australia. <laughs> Come on. I know, I know. Astra, um, Flora is an amazing athlete, obviously, with what she's achieved. But yes, in Australia, uh, with triathlon, we have such a rich history. Um, with the recent Commonwealth Games, we walked away yeah. with a few medals, which I definitely think is showing we are making a, a step forward in the right direction. I mean, COVID obviously affected everyone, but with Australia, we were just locked down and we couldn't go overseas and compete in the races that sort of everyone else around the world started to do again. Um, so yeah, give us a little bit of time and I have no doubt in my mind, we're going to be back there bringing home medals from the Olympics for Australia. It's the main thing. That's what we want. And uh, to yeah. our Canadian half of this show, just tune out right now because it's all about Australia <laughs> at this uh, at this Sorry, present moment right is. now. It's all right. It they're, they're, Simon Whitfield did all right for them, right? That that, that counts. I remember Sydney. That was yeah. that was the next day, right after Michaela got the silver. Simon getting through to the gold. Yes. That was fantastic. Now, Jazz, yeah. we wrap up every interview. Mm-hmm. Fun of questions, set of fun questions here. We'll uh, we'll we'll end yeah. this on a on a on a shining light. Hopefully, there'll be no more tears Hi. in this. I mean, if there are, <laughs> I, I I I'm doing something right here. Jewel cryer yeah. on the show. Okay. See how that plays <laughs> out. But uh, I will say, uh, you yeah. mentioned before that creative side of you. Now, there's yeah. always the optional element of drawing. I don't know how you are at drawing, mm-hmm. but this questionnaire, which was given to Team Canada athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang, has a drawing element to it. So you can draw a picture of yourself. You can draw a picture of a teammate, draw a picture of a Canadian animal, but we always change that to an Australian animal unless you really want to draw a picture of a Canadian animal. Go ahead. Uh, but, again, not compulsory, but if you're, you're there right now, uh, you, you've got a day off in Andorra and you want to do some drawing and send it through to us, feel free to. Yeah. So just putting it out <laughs> there. How are your drawing skills? Disastrous. Um, yes. <laughs> Photos, digital, I love. Pen to paper, not so good, no. All right. Well, just to, just to add a yeah. bit of extra spice, I, I don't believe we've ever had a summer athlete send us a drawing. It's always been our winter athletes. So maybe they're so oh, cold they don't uh, want to go outside. So, uh, yeah, you know. see, now you're setting a challenge for me. So hey. maybe I will. Maybe you will. All right. I've got to get a summer athlete to do it eventually. Come on now, Jazz. Uh, I'll start off with the first question here. Your favourite Olympic moment is? So... Um, obviously there are so many, but recently, uh, when I was in Tokyo talking about, um, down the bottom of the Australian building with the TV on, I was sitting there, um, when Ariane Titmus swam the 400 meter final and 
literally every turn she was second the little splits come up on the screen and then that last hundred meters she starts powering through coming up next to katie ledecky and oh my god the <laughs> cheering i literally i can't even describe it it's literally one of my favorite moments just being there, watching that with all these other Australian Olympians. And she won and everyone went nuts. Everyone's standing Dean up Boxall's still going sharing. nuts. I think he's still breaking those <laughs> uh, stands, right? <laughs> literally, literally. It was amazing, amazing. I like that. And what makes me happier that you say that is you're the first to say that. And uh, as a proud Tasmanian, that was Tasmania's first ever individual mm. Olympic gold medal at the Olympics in history. No. So, oh, my true goodness. True story. Yes. And she's not a Queenslander. Special. Stop Special. claiming a Queensland. She's no. born in Tasmania. No. She's a Tasmanian. So there you go. Yeah. Fantastic. I, yeah. I think more people are going to be answering Ariana uh, along the way. So great, great moment. If you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Okay, so this year um, I competed in Hamburg in Germany for a World Series race. It was the first time everyone said the crowds are insane, the course is really cool, the place is amazing, and it absolutely was. The course went through all these cool buildings. The crowd was so deep. So I think Hamburg, Germany, could do a very cool Olympics if it was anything like the triathlon event. Well, they have, Germany hasn't had an Olympics, I don't think, since Munich in 72. I don't no. think the winters have been there since. So, yeah, it's been a while since Germany's yeah. had an Olympics. Yeah, so let's put due. that out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I think they're very yeah. much due for it. Um, In your spare time, you sort of maybe answered this before, but maybe there's some other things. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? Yes, definitely stuff in the creative space. Um, So, yeah, I, I hope post um, my athletic triathlon career I'd sort of love to sort of move into that um, whether it's kind of like documenting other squads or events sort of through photos and videos um, I love sharing stories so right now I'm trying to tell mine but one day I want to help other people share theirs well podcasting helps if you ever look into that space do you, you need can, an you know... assistant Hey, I'd never say no to an assistant. I look at these podcasts who have assistants and I'm like, what's this fancy nature? I don't know what that is. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, we'll talk afterwards, Jazz. We'll see how we we can uh, work out going there. Uh, The weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was? Oh, the weirdest. So when I think of weird, I don't necessarily think of good, (laughs) (laughs) Um, to be honest. Um, if it's weird, I'm probably like, I don't want to be hearing that again. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could be totally, I am going to open up another can of worms here, but it's a topic I'm like extremely passionate about um, from what I went through as a young female athlete. Um, and to be honest, it's very weird advice. But what I was told one time when I was a young athlete um, was that um, – this, this coach would, would know I was fit once my bottom was a certain measurement. Um, so very, very weird. Um, and I kind of want to use that as a platform to go on to say, I feel like these are supposed to be lighthearted questions. but No, no, like I, it's by all means. <laughs> um, very weird. And like I don't think um, – this person at the time and and other coaches who sort of 
comment on sort of body types and, and the way you look with athletes. I don't think they know possibly the damage they could be doing to young athletes. Um, so I, I don't think this was meant in a harsh way. And I also think like the education at the time wasn't correct. This was kind of a phase where it was like to be fast, you need to be lean, um, like you need to lose weight. That That's what's going to sort of make you a good athlete. And I just think it's such a critical thing to talk about because at the time, like I looked up to this person, I was like they, their experience, like they know what they're talking about. If this is, this is what they say, this is what I need to do. So I did go on. And like, that's, that's not the only comment. There were, there were other things made, other things that occurred that, that made me think I need to lose weight to do well. Um, so just, just to quickly add, uh, I think it's so important for young athletes, male and female, but obviously my experience being female, and I've heard a lot from other female athletes, um, is, um, is don't go down that path. And if you're getting advice that you maybe don't think is right, um, reach out for help. Um, when you're still growing and uh, your body's still growing and especially in like sports, which requires so much training, like you need to be fueling, you need to be, to be getting enough energy to support what you're doing. And, and it's so sad to see so many athletes just get injured and injured and injured. And then they leave the sport because they've got this incorrect advice and they're doing what they think is right. So I just want to just want to add that. No, in look, here. please yeah. add wherever you can. And yeah. I'm telling you, Daz, write this book. Write this book and go yeah. and speak because there, yeah. there's a lot in this. I think that uh, yeah. you could definitely use it. This is your website, I'm saying. As I said to you before, it's a great website. I you could be update. using yeah. some of this with that tool. And, I mean, you're not wrong when that is the weirdest, in, that's maybe also the creepiest instruction that I think I've ever heard here too, which, uh, <laughs> a yeah. Odd. Yeah, very, yeah. very odd. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, your favorite workout is favorite workout so um on a saturday morning we do a long run normally about 90 minutes with a session in there um and then a, on a sunday morning we do a long bike also with a session and i just i just love it big chunky session um effort required volume required and like you're exhausted afterwards and i just love it I love That's them. good. You, you like that <laughs> yeah. exhaustion, it sounds, all that kind of, yeah. uh, again, going back to my point about how yeah. I'm lazy, just, you know, can't be bothered doing a, you know, three Ks. It's like, <laughs> wow, I feel so unfit all of a sudden, Jazz. Uh, if you could have lunch <laughs> with any one person, who would it be? Um, okay, I'm going to go David Attenborough maybe Ooh, because I yes. think – yeah, he would have some some very cool stories. Obviously, there's a lot of athletes that I look up to, but um, I would love to hear some David Annabra stories. To be honest, I love the Earth, so you'd want to do it somewhere near nature as well, wouldn't you? So you could yes. just be in the middle of like yes. eating some food, and like check out that bird over there, Jazz. That is a yes. spotted wren, and you just like go into some <laughs> like thing, wouldn't you? Like exactly, yeah, yeah. that would 100%. be pretty. I, I would be that yeah. guy though, like who would sit down and go. Tell me about your brother. He was in Jurassic Park. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can <laughs> add know, that as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great family uh, dinner, I could imagine that would do the Attenborough family. Uh, speaking of food, your favourite sandwich is? Okay. So last year um, my sister actually um, competed overseas as well for a while 
and one of the places she was based in was Girona in Spain. Um, very good for training. And um, she was telling me when I was back at home um, all about these these really nice cafes that are there. And then this year, um, I stayed in Spain. And Kai and I, um, the Airbnb we got was actually <clears throat> like 100 metres away from this cafe called La Fabrica. And they do this pulled pork sandwich Ooh. with this sweet potato puree that is Ooh. oh so good. Um, and also with gluten-free, you normally get ah. like these slices of bread, which are smaller, right? They yeah. give you two extra pieces. So this, wow. this sandwich... I definitely ate more than I should have, but it was very, very good. Pulled pork, sweet potato. Something about the word sweet potato puree, which mm. I didn't know existed until now, yeah. makes me very happy. So um, I think that's what it is. Well, if it isn't, it's going to be a thing now. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that just yeah. sounds incredible. So, wow. I need to sandwiches? not answer the, ask these questions when I'm hungry, Jazz. I never no, learn. No. I never learn, right? So well I need now. an assistant. You need. I need an assistant yes. to go, Ben, yeah. you haven't eaten dinner yet. Shut up. All right. Skip that question, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, I you can know, do put that. the whip, put the whip down. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? So, I mean, I feel like this is a common answer, but flying would obviously be very cool. I, I do have a fear of heights, but I'm like, if I can fly and I know I can't fall, I probably that. wouldn't. I wouldn't be scared and how cool would it be to just fly around everywhere? Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Your fear of heights surely goes away because I guess the fear of heights is that level of falling. But if you know if you just fall, you're just going to be like, I'm hovering Mm. in the air because I can fly. Exactly, yes. You know, do you think does that mean that Spider-Man, if he was afraid of spiders, he's no longer afraid of spiders? I don't know if that kind of works out there. Surely, Sure, surely so. he's gained these powers. Yeah. Surely he couldn't be scared anymore. Kinda and surely sucks. he can just like put them as Probably. well now with him. Maybe he could just talk you know? to them because it's like I'm one of you. <laughs> true. True. You know, I'm yes, a spider exactly. man. So I don't you know. think he's afraid of much. <laughs> no. Because well, wasn't Batman no. like he was afraid of bats when he fell in that cave, and that's why he overcame his fear by turning himself into ah. a Batman. I don't know. We're getting way too in-depth here, Jazz. Uh, We are. We are. (laughs) Add it to the book. Chapter on superhero analysing, you know, their fears and everything along those lines. Uh, The best candy in the world is? Um, So, you know the brand Haribo's? Yes. Lollies. They have quite the variety. Um, I didn't didn't really eat them much back in Australia, but... Being overseas, staying at altitude, um, you need to eat even more when you're staying at altitude. Um, and we need to eat a lot already. So sugar is very good for me. And the little crocodiles <laughs> that Haribo make, they're soft and white on the bottom and then that <laughs> deliciousness on top, I am more obsessed <laughs> than I should be. Sounds that way. The Haribo's crocos. <laughs> yep. Hey, I don't think I've ever had somebody answer the Haribo's crocos, so that's that's – you know, no. creating so a much history in the show, Jazz. I today. like it. Yes, I you, uh, just a few. This is still time for some <laughs> authors here too. We exactly. we touched on before, obviously, your preference between the Dockers and the Eagles. So I don't know if this is your answer or there's another answer. As a kid, yeah. your favourite sports team was? Sports team. Um, so I did do hockey for a while as a kid. 
Um, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, triathlon, you're racing individual, but I really loved loved the team aspect um, when I did play hockey. And I do remember sort of having the kookaburras and hockey roos posters up on my bedroom wall. So I'll go with them. You would have remembered yeah. Athens in uh, the Kookaburras, our solitary gold, of course, finally in that. Uh, great great yeah. to see that too. And I remember, yeah, the Hockey yeah. Roos growing up, they were the, the dominant team. What position, when you played For hockey, sure. what position did you generally play? Um, I played centre because you ran around the most. So <laughs> that was me. I was, me. A, I was a goalie, so I'm always trying to find if we can get a, oh, a field hockey goalie on the show. scary. Yeah, Yeah, it it, it happens when you get into your third game of the year and you don't have a goalie and you're losing every game like 30 nothing. So they're basically like, Ben, your dad's a goalie. You should go in goals. Okay. Um, And the rest is history. So um, It's an important, important position to play. Exactly. And just because you let in a goal, I had to get past like 10 other people first, right? So it's not always your fault. (laughs) True. Clarifying that out. Sometimes it is. Most of the yeah. time it was my fault because I sucked. But I mean, there's a, you know, just other times there were other people it's who were team. to blame. It's exactly, yeah. it's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, your favorite sports movie is? Oh, sports movie. Obviously, there are so many out there, but I do want to make my sister laugh with this when she listens. And I'm going to say, she's the man. Ben, have you seen that movie? I have actually. It's a sports it? movie. That is yeah. a, that's a it's never been answered. Again, another first, Jazz. I told you, more first, but that is a sports movie. Good answer. Um, my sister and I have watched it that many times. <laughs> so we can literally quote the whole thing. And obviously um, it is showing that women can do just sports just as good as men, uh, which I think is a good lesson for, for kids to learn. So she's the man. Is my Who answer. It's a classic. Who was the guy in that? Was that Chad Michael Murray? Was that the main guy? Am I thinking of? I know it was Amanda Bynes, but um, yes, um, the yes, his name escapes me, which it shouldn't. Um, you know who I'm talking he, about, right? Though right? I know Shannon Tatum. Channing Tatum. I knew it was one of like, you know, I don't How know, Chad Michael Murray entered my head. That yeah. name hasn't been mentioned since like 2004. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I, I had a I had a big crush on Amanda Bynes when I was I, I think that's probably why I watched yeah. it when I was a teenager. But uh, that's a good yeah, movie though. We love yeah. the. Are there yeah. any triathlon movies, be it a, a fictional one or oh. documentaries that exist? Uh, definitely documentaries, which I have watched, but movies, I don't think I've come across. Any actually, there would be. There's surely some inspirational triathlon stories out there that need to be put in like Hollywood or something like that. Surely, maybe that's what we do after I finish with tries. We go into the creative space, we make a triathlon movie done, heart wrenching, powerful, inspiring one. The Jazz Hedgeland story, it's it's your it's a story on you, (laughs) like that's what it's going to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be a gold medal in there and it will be oh, not just one, Jazz. Come on, multiple. Don't stop at one. A few. Like, a you few. Know? No. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Keep pushing for that. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. Yeah, because, again, it's a sport that you would think there would be, but uh, we can change that. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? So I love Australia. Um, with all the places I've travelled, obviously there's so many amazing ones. 
Um, I just always love coming back home. So I couldn't picture myself long-term living anywhere but but there. However, um, New Zealand looks very nice and it's not too far away. And I feel like you can experience all the seasons there, which I'm, I'm not currently doing. I'm currently just chasing summer, which is good for tries. But afterwards, <laughs> maybe maybe in New Zealand for a little bit would be cool. You know what's absolutely hilarious about you saying that is that whenever we get winter athletes on the show they're always talking about they're chasing winter literally so they're like oh summer like i i I miss you know the beach and all that sort of stuff you might be the first summer athlete i've actually ever had on the show going like oh we chase summer all the time like i want to go to tassie to see snow (laughs) like i love that because i'm a person who likes colder weather better so i'm like yeah chase that cold weather (laughs) yes as long as i can rug up and I don't have to jump in a pool or go riding in the cold. I would love to sort of experience that for a little bit, for sure. Yes, yeah, well, definitely. Tasmania, Melbourne, four seasons in one day. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I went through yeah. it all today, basically. Yeah. The last one for you. Yeah. I love this question because it is so open-ended. You can take this however you want yeah. to. When you were little, okay. what was one thing you always thought? Oh, that, that's a tough question because as a mm. kid, there's a lot of things that go oh, yeah. through. I think my favourite answer mind. I'll say to this I've always had, and I always like saying this, is I had somebody answer that they were hungry. That was the one thing they always uh-huh. thought when they were little. Yes. Yes, no, that, that definitely crossed my mind. Um, but luckily for me, um, Dad and Mum were very supportive of our athletic ambitions. Um, they, they both come from a sporting background, so mum would sort of pack our thermos with food, which was ready for us straight after training. Um, she'd come up with all these different breakfasts um, to eat in the morning. So with that regard, whilst I was hungry, um, I was very well <laughs> nourished in that area. Um, but for what I thought, um, I think I was just like a really like hopeful, positive kid I know obviously a lot of kids are but I think um a story maybe that springs to mind here is um and if kids are listening please cover your ears but I remember being at school in primary school one of my friends was like oh I've like looked at the writing on the cards from Santa and it's exactly the same as my mom's like it's actually our parents that are Santa and I remember walking away going oh Come on, that is just a coincidence. Santa <laughs> is real, the Easter Bunny is real. And then anyway, a little while later, um, I remember me, my sister, mum and dad were sitting in the car and Kira kind of starts asking these questions and she's like, and Kira's three years younger at me as well, remember? So I'm the older one. And Kira's going like, mum and dad, I'm just, there's these things I'm not sure if they're lining up like with, with Santa Claus, like, is he actually real? And mum and dad are like, all right, there's something we need to talk to you both about. And obviously they've explained that Santa is not real, the Easter Bunny, Truth Fairy, not real. And then after explaining that, mum and dad have kind of turned to me and they're like, but Jazz, like, obviously you knew that. And I was like, yeah, 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 no, I knew that. But inside, the whole world was You're like, out. no, what's going on? It has to be real. Um, but no, I think um, growing up, um, our parents um, gave us just the best, the best childhood. Um, they protected us. Everything, everything was good. Um, and we had just like a really good time, which I think like obviously as an adult, you come to learn um, there are some bad things and there's some annoying things. Um, 
like taxes and petrol prices. But um, <laughs> I just I just had so much hope and like so much belief. And maybe that's why also I wanted to be an elite athlete. They just filled me with this this drive and this positivity for for all the good in life. So there's the, <laughs> the answer. I don't know if that's exactly correct, but yeah. <laughs> you, you might have spurred on a potential future question now that I can ask our guests. <laughs> At what moment did you realize yeah. Santa Claus wasn't yes. real? Um, the sad you one. Know, it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's a sad one. I mean, maybe we could get some guests who would go, Santa's real. What are you talking about? And they've lived on to that. Exactly. You know, Exactly. That hope throughout They're their in life. In place, full belief. Mm-hmm. It, it could work. I mean, Michael Phelps, maybe he believes in Santa still and that's why he's won so many gold medals. You never know. Exactly. It, we could be let in on this secret, exactly, yeah. to the best and the best and why. You yeah, Emma McKeon. I, I look at her and I think yeah. there's a woman who believes in Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> that's why exactly. she's got so many medals. That's that's where Ariane yeah. Titmus. she was, you know, the yeah. last 50 metres against Katie. She's uh-huh. going, come on, Serna, uh-huh. come on, Serna, get me across the line. Yeah, the and hope. Gold. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, Jazz, before I let you go, we mentioned your yeah. website, uh, social media. Yeah. Where can people follow what you're going to be up to between now and, and Paris and, and everything else in between? Um, so obviously, um, as I like taking photos and videos, Instagram is currently the social media I'm most up to date with. Um, I've actually sort of been making um, a reel for each week I've been overseas with. Um, it's mostly, to be honest, it's just for me to look back on because so much has happened, but I just love sharing it, um, especially with people that that um, maybe want to be over in Europe, um, but they're not and they can sort of live a little bit through these videos and kind of show a little bit of the behind the scenes of um, elite athletes sort of trying to give that that full picture. Um, so, yeah, social media, Jazzy H is my handle. And then um, the similar content's posted on um, my Facebook page. But website, maybe in a, in a year or two, we can look <laughs> Look to there for information. I need some updating first. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it does need a bit of updating. But yeah. what's there? It's still yeah. a, a valuable resource for Thank people you. like me who are, mm-hmm. you know, going into yeah. this. But uh, Jazz, I, I have to say, I mean, an absolutely incredible ride. I, I officially think you are our longest interview as well. So thank you for that. But I have I have learned <laughs> so welcome. much. You've ticked so many boxes on this show for firsts. Um, <laughs> I will apologise that you cried, but then I won't apologise for the fact that it was for, I mean, it wasn't for good reasons, but it was for something a little bit more than let's end this interview yeah. now. I, I, I need to go and yeah. look at Andorra. And also yeah. I really appreciate opening up on everything, particularly the, the childhood moment when it was destroyed when you learned that Santa wasn't real. So yeah. uh, that that's yeah. up there. But an incredible ride, Jazz, and I really appreciate your time here and off the podium today. <laughs> No, this has this has been a really good chat. Maybe half a therapy session as well. <laughs> I'll charge beer, you later. But... I'll send you the bill. It's fine. Yeah. It's all good. Yep. I've I've loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Absolute pleasure and an honour to speak to Jazz there to learn all of those moments and aspects of her career and to be so open and honest and emotional here on the show as well. We obviously uh, definitely thank Jazz for being so open with us and telling those stories and obviously a lot of adversity that she's overcome to get where she is, to get to those Olympics and to perform on the world stage and 
As I said during that chat, of course, that while the performance out there might not have been what she had hoped for, still the fact that she will always be able to call herself an Olympian is something that, of course, is no mean feat and one that I'm sure not only her family and friends are very proud of her, but of course everyone in Australia as well for her to reach that level. So we very much appreciate Jazz's time on the show and that level of conversation that she was able to bring with us here on the episode today. And we're obviously going to uh, keep an eye on how things go for her moving forward towards Paris and beyond. Uh, An amazing chat that I'm sure we are all very thankful for that we have been able to be a part of today and listening and watching as well. If you've maybe uh, checked out our video version of the Jazz Chat, remember to go to YouTube and maybe you've switched over here now to our audio version. But of course, a uh, friendly reminder, if you're only on the audio version right now, you can see the video version of our chat there with Jazz on our YouTube channel as well as all our past athlete interviews and future athlete interviews as well that we will be bringing your way over the course of the coming days, weeks, months, years, centuries, millenniums, however long we're going to be going for. And while you're online, you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast on all good podcast service, have the episodes delivered in the audio form directly to your devices. And also while you're online, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's where you're at, it's where we're at, it's how you can get them all on board there so you can follow the show. Let us know what you think of the show give us some feedback send us some requests for guests anything along those lines as well and we always love hearing from you along those way as well and we always definitely appreciate the support that you bring the show along the way actually want to take the quick opportunity as well just before we uh, move into the closing part of this episode as well is happy olympic day the day that this episode is released if you're listening to it on the release day It is officially International Olympic Day. If you're not familiar with what International Olympic Day is, held on the 23rd of June every single year. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we've ever had an episode released on International Olympic Day. It was first introduced in 1948, and it essentially celebrates the birth of the modern Olympic Games that are classified as being born on the 23rd of June 1984, 1894. If it was 1984, I think we uh, would have uh, been celebrating the centenary back in Atlanta a little bit too early, if you ask me. But yes, 1894, the correct one there. So International Olympic Day is today. There is a big theme from the IOC going out there, the Let's Move initiative. They're asking you to do 30 minutes worth of Olympic activity out there. You can head to the Olympics.com, check out the Olympic Day section on there, and you can get involved with some uh, pretty big name Olympic athletes out there to get your body and moving alongside. You've got people like Paul Gasol, Alison Felix, Australia's Logan Martin, PV Zindu and Yuzra Madini all out there offering some great tips and some exercises for people to get there and moving. Do some athletic activities that the Olympians are doing and, and really get involved in it. But we're asking you here on Off the Podium to celebrate your Olympic memories. We're going to put a post up, a separate post, happy Olympic day to everybody listening. So uh, why not comment and share your favorite Olympic moments, your memories, your favorite episode of Off the Podium, anything along those lines. We'd love to see it. But uh, a great time and a great way to celebrate the occasion of the Olympics because we know if you're listening to this show, you like the Olympics. So therefore, celebrate it and get excited and pumped because the Olympics are great. We love them. And even in a non-Olympic year, we can still celebrate the occasion that is the Olympics. But even in a non-Olympic year, of course, we still have Olympics to talk about because coming up, we've got some great guests, great episodes, some great coverage of some big events. And I will touch on the fact that 
We are basically a month away now from the one-year anniversary to go. Well, the one-year-to-go anniversary, that makes more sense, Ben, of Paris 2024. Can you believe it that we are basically a year away from Paris? And talking a lot to Jazz, of course, in this interview, you heard a lot about Paris. Well, we're pretty much at that one-year window in a month. That is how close we are to the Paris Olympics. So, Jared, Colin, and myself will be back to give you our usual one-year-to-go special episode that we have done now essentially every year since 2018 to preview and give our takes, just our thoughts on the Olympics. It's a very, very big year next year for us on Off the Podium in terms of our Olympic coverage. So, we're very much looking forward to that, and we'll give a bit of a teaser and a preview of that. And before that, though, we've got some more great episodes coming your way, some interviews coming your way, including an interview that... We've, we've, we, let's be honest, we did absolutely ages ago, more than six months ago, but we are so excited for you to finally hear it because when it comes to Colin Hilding, this might be the greatest episode that he's ever been involved in. So uh, I'm just, I just want to tease that out for you enough because that is, that, let's just say that's happening next week and Colin's going to get a little bit excited about it. There, there's, there's mogul skiers involved. Is that enough to sell it to you? There's, there's, there's three of them involved. Is that enough to sell it to you? I think that if you listen to this show enough, you might know who we're talking about, but that's next week. But I digress. Paris Olympic, one year to go in about a month. Got that next week. And then also in between that as well, there's a lot happening in the next few weeks. The 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup is happening. And as we did with the Men's World Cup last year in Qatar, we are going to bring you some coverage of the Women's World Cup. It is a massive event and also the fact that it is being held in the backyard of myself and Jared here in Australia. It's co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. It is the biggest women's standalone sporting event on the planet. And we are going to bring you coverage of that. We're going to bring you a preview episode and we'll bring you respective episodes on each stage of the tournament. So we will bring you a group stage review, a knockout stage review and with a final preview and then a general tournament review as well. And given that myself and Jared are here in Sydney, one of the uh, big host cities for these uh, games, the World Cup, We will be going to games. We'll be able to bring you some extra coverage of that and uh, all the fun stuff along the way of that too. So plenty to keep you busy over the coming weeks. So many things that will come with that. As I said, Paris, interviews and everything along those lines. And of course, also later this year, as we've discussed a few times already, Pan Am Games 2023. We're hoping to do some form of coverage for them. Uh, You know, obviously... A little bit difficult for Jared and myself being in Australia. Not a lot of coverage of the Pan Am Games in this part of the world. But for Colin, lots of coverage of the Pan Am Games. And we will find a way to do some sort of coverage, be it an episode, a couple of episodes. We'll work out a way where we can cover our very first Pan Am Games. So we look forward to being able to do that. Thanks again to Jazz for her time on the show. And thanks again for everybody for sticking with us right now to the end. If you've made it this far, we definitely appreciate your support and your listenership along the way. Until we next week again, though, my name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull. Remember to go left and fizzle, dizzle.